Radio Shack. Okay. What? The 80s called. Welcome to the Coco Nation, the world's first live and interactive talk show featuring the Tandy Color Computer and its hardware cousins. Hello, everybody. Welcome to episode 302. How y'all doing? Okay. My <laughs> <laughs> work here is done. That's right. <laughs> we are so excited to be here. You know, and Ken and I seem to be taking alternate days off, so the Canadian content is half of what it normally is. Yeah, I and I don't think we I did think the mic check beforehand. Well, oh, sorry, you broke up there, Mark. Mark Overholzer, I should say. You yep. broke up. Yep. All right. Anyway, um, let's see who we got on the panel today. First up, uh, yours truly. Reminder, seven weeks to go. Oh, God, yeah, that's right, too, isn't it? <laughs> uh, next, uh, Patrick Uland. How you doing? <laughs> Getting by. Howdy, folks. All right. And then next up, we got Sloopy Malibu. Greetings and sanitations, all the fine people of the Coco Nation. And then L. Curtis Boyle. Uh, thanks for reminding me that the Cocoa Fest is only seven weeks away because now I can go in panic mode because Ken and I haven't even started even figuring out what our presentation is about, never mind actually making it. Andy's not around, so this is the yeah. perfect time. Welcome exactly. to the club. No pressure. It's like, missed staff meetings? Oh, well. Hey, I've only got five weeks of uh, of prep time. Are you doing a seminar too? No. The weekend before, I've got uh, VCF East, so... That whole week shot. So I got to get everything done before then. Okay, let's see. Next up, uh, Marco, let's see if your mic works this time. Uh, I'm having problems. Yes, you are. Yeah, we can hear that. We can agree. Have you tried unplugging it, plugging it back in again? Because it's a Logitech that might even fix it. Yeah, it's not a Logitech. Did you turn it off and turn it back on again? <laughs> No, but I should have. Maybe uh, we could all just talk like. Alright, so before I lose my place, uh, Brian the Music Man. Hello, 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 everybody. Just remember, seven weeks, you could be hearing this music. <laughs> And not a minute sooner. That's right. Next over, <laughs> CocoMan.biz, Jason Reichard. Why, hello, everyone. How's my mic? <laughs> a bit underwater. 
<laughs> that reminds me of that really weird Monty Python skit in the Meaning of Life. You know, Where did the fish we go? <laughs> anyway, sorry. Let's see. Next up, Terry Stiggy. <laughs> Hello, everybody. Looks right, like uh, you're on the road, Terry. Yep. Basketball tournaments again. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, you can cocoa any way you want, but I don't recommend cocoa and driving. Yeah, I, I actually I drive better when I'm not looking at the road. <laughs> it's, just, it's just everyone else going. Ah! Exactly. <laughs> Are you in New Jersey? Yeah, there's days. <laughs> there's days. All right. Let's see. Lot bottom row. We have Alan Exile in Paradise. Howdy, howdy, everybody! Glad to finally be back into Coco Nation stuff. It's been a long two weeks. And let's see, bottom middle row, we got David Ladd. Hello, everyone, and I'm happy to see everybody's here today. I hope you're happy to be here. So let's get going. All righty, Dave. And last but not least, Nick Marentes. Hey, everyone. Well, that was enthusiastic. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I got blown away from all the other... People, <laughs> and he's tired from all that pop star pilot. <laughs> yeah, I think you actually yeah. sold a few more copies there for the tournament. The last no, there's two a couple weeks, so. there for people who wanted to join in on the game on challenge. You're welcome, okay. Nick. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's that's what you call the Coco Nation effect. Both copies. <laughs> <Right>. yeah. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> So uh, did uh, did you send a kickback or just Ken didn't uh, didn't include me this time? Sorry, was it? Nope. He's and asking no. for his bribe, I believe. Yeah. Or or did Ken, or did you give it to Ken and Ken didn't share it with me? That maybe that's why Ken went to uh, Las Vegas to uh, to gamble it all away. To invest the money. Well, well Nick, Nick, Nick play, paid it all in boomerangs, I think. Uh, <laughs> what am you got to understand, too, Nick's, Nick's uh, sense of humor is going to be a bit low because it's like, what, four in the morning there right now or something? Right? Uh, it's five, but yeah, I only just woke up. <laughs> <laughs> so you'll be ready to go back and back uh, back to sleep in time for the news then? Here yeah, you. well, that's the, only, that's the only plus. I get to go back to sleep fairly quickly during the show. Here, yeah. Coffee. By the way, Alan mentions in the chat here, Nick. He said uh, Nick Rennie's plane crash simulator. That's what he's calling the game. (laughs) (laughs) Right. There, I think we've got everybody on the panel, Mark. Yeah, we did. Uh, Let's see who we got in chat today. Uh, Sixteen, Kevin Holloway. J.E. Jones, Tom Eric Anderson, Mikey, and Mark Siegel's joined us. TJB Chris, and so on. So, actually, I just want to mention to Sixie uh, when we get to the game on news, there's one section there that's dragging stuff, and there's a few games I've never seen before. So, I'm hoping he has some commentary on them if he's seen them. Okay. Oh, uh, let's see. 
go into, shall we do game on results? Sure can. Okay. Long sleepy still. We had a, had a discussion today and when's our next interview coming up? I haven't set a date yet. The next one's probably going to be the third part of the nitrous nine thing, but getting multi-person interviews is hurting cats. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So no fixed date yet. I have to, I was trying to wait for, there was two people that were quite busy at the time when I approached them about a month, two months ago. And they said it should be freed up by March. So I'll be checking back in and then um, irregardless, I'll just pick a date and hopefully get the most people to join. Okay. Well, let me run the intro and then we'll do the results. Which one is my intro? Oh, there it is. <laughs> Neither is that one. Welcome to the. Let's not let's let's not do Donkey Monkey again, please. No, no. no. I think Mark fell asleep. Is what the problem is. <laughs> well, things are things are. Someone get today. Mark a coffee, please. <laughs> or an extra jolt I cola. I didn't. Espresso called DoorDash. Here, have a coffee. Okay, I think I found the right button. All right, go ahead, Sloopy. All right, let's see here. Um, let's minimize that, minimize that, minimize that, minimize that. I got to rename this that. scene. Minimize that. That we can straight up close. That's a good size coffee cup you got there, Mark. I'm impressed. This one? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that looks like a medium. Insulation is deceiving. There we go. And share. It's just that easy. Okay. 25 Everyone easy. That's okay. Sure does. Everyone sees a nice green screen. Okay. Yep. Yep. Okay. Uh where is it? Run? Okay. The last two weeks, we've played uh, Pop Star Pilot by some Australian guy by the name of Nick. And we played and had 18 pilots submit scores. And at position 18, we have Mark B with 710. Hard-earned points, let me tell you. <laughs> and at 17, we had Henry Reitveld at 1410. 16, we had Flutterball at 1,800. 15, we had some Canadian guy uh, by the name of Ken at 1,840. 14, we had Mr. Dave, 6309 at 2,030. And at 13, well, he would have been 13 if he submitted the score, but he didn't submit a score, so he doesn't get, he doesn't get his scores posted. So make sure you submit your scores when you play. He only and has himself play. to blame. Yep. Yes, he only has himself to blame. And just so you know, 
we don't give special treatment to anyone at the Game On Challenge Live, no matter who they are. Position 12, Rich N with 27.50. 11, the man, the myth, the legend himself, David Ladd at 28.50. Position 10, top 10, Shenley with 3,300. 9, Kieran with 46.70. 8, Jim Rye at 4,900. 7, Tandy Color Computer, also known as mm, Rob Inman, right? That's it. Rob Inman at 5950. Sorry, Rob. I'm just, I can't remember everything. Oh, just wait till the Patreons run. Yeah, this is why I don't do handles myself. (laughs) (laughs) Six, L. Curtis Boyle at 5950. That was a tie. Um, I don't do ties. Whoever submitted first, they get the higher position. <laughs> I I have problems untying knots, so I don't do ties. Fifth, Tasman, Scott Cooper at 7560. Fourth, David Craker at 12,680. And for the top three, we have Brian Walsh with 31,160. Number two, Buck Owens with 31,160. As I said, I don't do ties because I don't like strangulation devices. And the number one player this week is a shocker because, whoa, Buck Owens is second. Joshua Craker with 34,030 points. Yay! Yay! I think we better watch out. The younger generation is starting to kick our old butts. Yeah. Well, they have this thing called reflexes. Thanks for playing and join us uh, this, this coming Thursday and come and play with us where we'll be playing uh, Lucifer's uh, oh. kingdom kingdom kingdom. Yeah. I can't I think our coffee was set on stun Sloopy instead of kill. <laughs> <laughs> so, but yeah, a question. I don't know if you know this Sloopy, but is that Joshua's very first number one position in the game on challenge i know he's played before but yeah he's played quite a bit and i do believe that is his first number one congratulations joshua yeah now if you don't like ties sloopy have you ever considered maybe just a clip on um i have zipper tie that's what i did but i think (laughs) i'm just gonna go um for those of you that are familiar with ncis i think i'm gonna go the ducky route and just go with a bow tie there we go but yes, I do know how to tie a tie. And yes, I do own one. Actually, two. But my favorite tie I no longer have. But no. If I'm going to have something around my neck, it's going to be Missy's hands to strangle me. So. Oh, so like a, so like a normal day for you. Yes. All right. So uh, I, used, I used to go to a church where you had to wear a tie up front. And so I wore a bow tie and everybody looked at me really strangely. But met the letter of the law. So, Pop Star Pilot was the game that we we just played, and I'm sure that we have um, a whole bunch of um, information on this wonderful game from so long ago. Um, I checked magazines; I could not find one high score list in any of the magazines from back in the day. No. 
I mean, I, I went through all those magazines. I don't know. Um, the rainbow. Um, I even looked in um, uh, 80 micro and everything else. Did you check but antic? I checked antic also. And I also checked uh, compute and computes gazette just in case. But not magazine. one of them. Yeah, but not one of them even had a review, let alone someone posting a high score. So what is everyone else's opinion of the game? Well, first, before we get into that, I want to ask people, because I know Nick, when he originally released it, he had a certain order to the zones. And then he had a lot of feedback over the next <coughs> couple of years, actually, that basically zone two was a little bit too hard. And a lot of people just weren't getting past it. And after he did some further play testing and, and some of the rest of us did too, it was decided to flip. Was it zone two and three you flipped, Nick? Uh, two and three, that's all right, yeah. Yeah, so there's a free update for those that have bought it and it has the old version where you can actually do what was originally zone three as zone two, which is a bit easier. So you generally tend to do better on the game. And I'm just wondering from the people here on the panel that played it, how many of you played the original zone order and how many played the revised zone order? I played the original. There's more than one level. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I never, I never saw any other but the first. I know I did really well. I, I actually not only did I uh, crash the plane, but I actually made a three-plane deep hole in the ground with it, and it was even curved, so you could use yeah. it for a little bunker. That was my biggest claim to fame in the game. Yeah, that's uh, a bug, a, a feature. I added feature, feature, end. destructible yeah, terrain. Planned it all along. Yeah. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> um, yeah. Now, any- Nick, no, the, the download that if you purchase it now, that you get the revised one point one version with the change to work. Yeah, it's the re- yeah. I'm, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, I think I revised it, but um, they're essentially the same game. It's just the order of levels two and three. So. And, and I think Sloopy, you, you, you just bought it this last week or two, so I think you got the the new version. So yeah, I'm pretty sure it is. Yeah, actually, I I just got an email from, uh, hang on, what's his name? William. Wow, gotta find it now. Astle? Uh William A. Thing. He says okay. he bought he bought it last week and still hasn't received it on the downloads. So if he's listening. I, I just received the email. And I'm I'm chasing up why you haven't received it. So that's one of the biggest problems I'm finding that with this uh, digital download, I uh, whenever I get a uh, a download, uh, I get a an email from uh, who is it from uh, from PayPal to say that you know um, the thing was purchased. So I send it to whatever email address appears in that. In PayPal, that PayPal okay. receipt, but it seems like a lot of people don't actually check that email uh, address. So, you know, there's a it's a bit of a problem. I've got to find a better way of doing. Of there's also the out. problem that uh, sometimes because it's a zip attachment or something, it just gets thrown into spam and people don't even see it. And it goes into spam. So, if anyone has a uh, uh, a better idea on how to do these digital downloads. How, how about if you make a private page? It's not directly accessible of just the download zip, and then you just email the link. Yeah, yeah I'm just wondering. I mean, okay. hopefully we're mature enough not to pirate it <laughs> and share the yeah, link around. I haven't, been, I haven't been too worried about that. It's just that uh, I need a way of making it easier for people 
to be able to do to, to get the digital download. Uh, well, tell them what I, they I, need to do and then send them a dot not a zip file. And that solves a lot of the problems. But you need to tell them, I'm going to send it to your PayPal address. If that's not good, make well, it. Well, it does. I do say that on, uh, on the oh, but web they page. don't listen. Okay. Yeah, but yeah, I mean, uh, uh, some people, I guess, don't see that. I've tried to make it very clear, but that has been a problem. Anyway, uh, I mean, I, I can change think, the extension. I mean, that that's what I've I've done before. As I'll change a zip right. to a dot .piz, and then just you know just change the extension when you get it. Right, my my yeah, infamous that, dot not a zip, so everyone knows what to change it it's to. A, it's, a, it's, a, it's, it's a PIZ <laughs> file, not a zip. So <laughs> yeah, put uh, popstarpilot.zip.txt. Right. <laughs> Got so, yeah. so in the chat, uh, William uh, has a reply. Um, oh, good. Says, yep. says he's checked his, he did check the spam uh, before asking. Right. And, uh, he's gotten other stuff from you before without any issues. So yeah. it's probably an update to like a virus scan or something in some of the email clients. That is now Maybe. suddenly flagging it. And and uh, um, I'm sending it to, um, I'm going to send this copy now to, um, uh, to his Gmail address. So if that's no good, Bill, uh, let me know. But that's uh, the address that you just sent the email to to me just now. So I'm going to uh, reply with the Popstar Pilot attachment. And, and then and just William, let me know. Make sure you turn off your Australian email filter so you get so it doesn't end up in the wrong folder. <laughs> yeah, and it also read, ends up right read, side up. Yeah, yeah, read the email upside down. Maybe you, you got it confused. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, put the bit inversions in there to turn them around. The zip file. <laughs> yeah. So Sixy saying Sixy must be playing one point one because uh, it says I think mine went town water than pride flag. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> That's I've never called, heard that level called that before. Uh-huh. But <laughs> um, uh-huh. Buck Owen says his CD came with one point one, so he's got the the new order. Um, Rob Inman said he played the one point zero classic zone order, same as I did. So it looks like we had a, a bit of a mix between them, but I mean, it still has the same levels. There's no changes in the levels. It's just the order. Yeah, and this this is a game. I mean, I know we're doing high score challenge here, but I I don't play games like this for the high score. I don't point herd or whatever you call it. Just go for points. For me, it's exploration, seeing what the next level looks like. I try to get to the next level. I don't care about looping well, that, back and dying in purpose on a certain spot so I can go through the whole level again and collect all these points again. That just bores me to tears. And and, but, and that's what I do as well. And that's actually where where one bug that's been brought up by um Mark Owens has uh, has surfaced because I concentrate more on trying to get through the levels rather than trying to accumulate scores. Uh someone like Buck has found out a way to be able to uh, Really, scores. Yeah, I mean, because I've got a um, a lot of uh, what was it? Um, a thing where whereby you can re, when you die, you go back to the start of that one level. Checkpoint. The checkpoint. Um, he's found that if you just play all of level one, but don't exit it just before the exit, die, uh, because you can pick up uh, additional lives. Uh, in the levels anyway so you pick up a life and then die at the end of the level before you before um before you complete you it enter the next level then you can repeat level one and level one 
has a lot of balloons. So you just keep going, collecting balloons, just and, and just pick up a life and then die and then go back to the start yep. and collect balloons. And I never thought of that when I did it because, like like we said, I was more concentrating on getting through the levels, and I didn't see that little loophole. So yeah, point farming or whatever the technique's yeah, called. It's point actually farming quite a few games or whatever the real. That. Yeah. So yeah, if you're going so for I, points, I I don't. If I, you go, and I I didn't either. I just wanted to see if, if I can get to the uh, or make sure getting through to level five was challenging but possible which it is but yeah i never thought of oh you can point uh farm it <laughs> anyway so i guess if you're going for points we just gave a tip <laughs> point yeah, well, level right. one get the get the heart and then die and then just repeat yeah yeah that's right there, so there is that that really goes yeah, against yeah. my universal game strategy of don't die yeah, the thing is, it, it's not fun that way. You're just repeating the one level anyway. Yeah. It's it's more interesting to see all the all the extra levels and the graphics and trying to get through it all because you know, it's just boring. But anyway, yeah, I much prefer the uh, exploring. I, I, I never, I didn't see it when I did it. So, yeah, Alan Alan Murphy's actually saying here, grinding. I guess is another term for it. I've heard of his point farming. Basically, it's the yeah. same thing. It's it's a grind. Like you're literally just doing the same thing over and over again. To yeah, it is over and over. Yeah. This would also imply that you can get to the end of the first level. Well, yeah. I think yeah Mark B's told me that doesn't exist, but I've seen it. I thought the end of the yeah, first yeah. level was where it said game over. Well, level one is the easiest one, really. Just to get through it, all you have to do is dodge the balloons. But the thing is, it taps into the fact that people get get um. They try to get all the balloons because they they're greedy. They want to get as many points as possible. So and that and that's why a lot of people say, "Oh, level one's hard." Well, it's not. You just you can just avoid the uh, balloons and get through it easy. Yeah, the only thing you have to worry about then is just get the uh, fuel canisters. That's right. You can almost you can almost ignore all the balloons. Keep flying. Keep your plane up high and slightly forward, and and. Balloons don't even get to you, and all you have to do is fly down every now and then to collect the fuel, just to keep your, your plane topped up. Then fly back up into that safe area, and then ignore the balloons. Nothing will hit you. So it's a really easy level. You make but, it sound yeah, so easy. Well, well, it is. That was the whole point. I wanted to make level one to be at least everyone could get through level one. And then, of course, I clobbered them with level two in the original <laughs> layout because they're getting through the um, the underground tunnels. That proved to be the the hardest level of them all. So that's why I moved it forward to uh, uh, swap two and three around, so it didn't get hard too quickly. Going from a really easy level, then going slam bam straight into the hardest level. I thought, eh, that doesn't sound quite right. So I. That's why I swapped it over. Yeah. No, the, the the cool part of exploring the game is you get the different themes. Like level one, you're just flying over a city. Level two, well, on the new the version, you're flying with the moving water level going up and down. <laughs> level three, that's, you're doing the scramble uh, yeah, like caves. 
Yeah, yeah, that's right. Um, that moving water level is meant to be the the storm level, I think. That's why the screen flashes. It's supposed to be lightning. <laughs> yeah. And then level four is the, uh, I think you called it high tech, which is kind of the, you got the parallax bars going the opposite direction of your ship, which kind of really screws you up when you first get there. <laughs> well, yeah, it, it, it's, uh, it's a, an effect I tried to, uh, to imitate um, from the Amiga, which has that sort of ability built into hardware to Coppers. do that. Copper bars, as they call them. Yep. So, so yeah, I basically created a copper copper bar routine, um, but using the um, the interrupts of the six eight oh nine to simulate the same thing. Yeah. Well, same way you did the water too. So. And the water, the water is the same effect. And, it, and, and then some of the on zone five, you have that <clears throat> where you're mixing colors on every it ultimate does scan. It does mix colors. So I, um, unfortunately, I don't think that works. Well, it doesn't work at all when it's being played over um, over the internet via, say, Discord or whatever. It's kind of iffy on VCC too. <laughs> yeah, VCC doesn't handle it well. But it was designed on a real Coco running on a real RGB monitor, and it works perfectly on that. Yeah, because so, I think you end up with like 20 or 24 colors on that final Yeah, you five. get a few shades of blue on one of the on one of the bars that uh, appear on that level. So I thought, that oh, that's a fancy thing, showing more co- Actually, the game itself does have more than 16 colors because that background is uh, can change the colors to whatever, one of, any of the 64 colors. Yeah. Um, in real time, and I think level, well, the uh, level well now level where, three, but originally level two. You it's had. level three. Yeah, the going under the caves gives you a bit of a uh, uh, what did um, sixty called it the uh, pride flag level. Yeah, the, yeah, the pride flag flag background is is done by my software uh, copper bar routine, and and their extra colors on top uh, on top of the sixteen being used in the game itself so it's more than 16 colors oh yeah it was it was a fancy effect i just wanted to see if i could do it Um, yeah and for those who follow my games webpage, i discovered during the course of the last two weeks i never put up a page for popstar even though i was one of the beta testers and stuff when it first came out and so i I rectified that this week i just put lucifer's kingdom because i didn't have that one there either um, but I go, it goes into a bit of the, the history. of, And then I thought maybe, Nick, you could talk about this because previous to that game, that was kind of your return to Coco Games commercially. You'd kind of stopped after, I think, Gatecrasher because sales had dropped to like 40 years. I think Gatecrasher was, yeah. yeah and right, then you did Gate some other Crasher. minor things like you updated Neutroid to run on the Coco 3. You did uh, your high-res joystick thing with Jock, John Kowalski, Sockmaster. You did... Um, yeah, did you a later version of Digiwiper? You did the 4K challenge that Alan Huffman had for Invaders. And I then was trying to, <clears throat> to mix it up a bit. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> and then in 2015, 2016, you, you started working on Popstar. And I was going to ask you um, what made you decide to return to trying to do a full blown game again after like a 15 year pause? Well, it seemed to me that the Coco market was, was growing at that, around that time. You know, I mean, I got out of it originally because I thought it, it, it it's on the downward um, stroke. It's it's not going to last. No point in spending all that time to create anything um, because there's you know not going to be anyone wanting to buy it because that's you, you spend so much time. You want to know that 
people find uh, appreciate it enough to actually buy the thing. So if you don't get enough of that, you think, well, what am I doing this for? Um, but yeah, I, I saw a bit of light coming back to the uh, cocoa, and I thought, oh well, I'll tell you what, I've got a few ideas I've always wanted to try, um, and uh, the smooth scrolling, for example, and the the copper bar effect and all, and um, some of the sound effect routines as well. So I thought, oh well, I'll do a. Uh, I've always wanted to do a, a really good scrambler type game, um, and that's where I decided to do it. It did take me a while. Uh, I think it it was two two years to put it together. You know, like I, I was doing it on and off yeah. in between real life. And I think you were quite surprised. Like it did much better than you were expecting. I think it's actually my my my, my best seller so far still. So it did it did work out quite well. Yeah, and going from forty and Gatecrasher, <clears throat> which is the first you know real three D ish game, um, you've you sold well over a hundred now of Pop Stars. So yeah, yeah. So it, it it's been pretty good for a for a dead computer. <laughs> mm. Popstar plays so nice. I mean, you just watch it. It's like, whoa! Hey, there would have been a killer game back when the Coco Three came out. But, yeah, that was another was, technique you used too, like this the horizontal scrolling. We've seen horizontal scrollers before yeah. using the hardware, like Contras, like uh, Crystal City. But this one is is smoother because you actually page well, flip between two different screens. I had to by... because the hardware scroll on the Coco Three you through with the gimme moves two bytes at a time um, each byte holds two pixels so that's a four pixel scroll and and it, and that's fine if you're going to scroll it fairly fast like crystal city and some of the others when it's scrolled fast it looks really smooth but i didn't want a fast scroll i wanted a sm a slow scroll um one so the game um does isn't over in no in no time at all um, so I wanted it to be slower, but if you go, go slower at a four pixel scroll, it looks jerky. So I had to find a way to make it scroll, well, at least two pixels. And that was, that was why I worked out in, in that game to be able to use two screens, each one offset by one byte. And then you sort of display each one, alternate between those two. And so you can now get a two-pixel two pixel scroll. 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 A two-pixel yeah. scroll or a one-byte, whatever, yeah. Um, yeah. And that, that made all the difference, to, and that's what gives it that nice, smooth, slower scroll. Because the, the, the levels don't just repeat. The graphics don't just repeat. Um, they are actually being drawn up as you scroll. I do have... Everything from level level one to level five is all encoded in there. It's just basically uh, drawing it on the right-hand side of the screen, and then it scrolls across, and it keeps bringing in more data. It, it does vary. It's not it's not just an endless looping background. Yeah, and I didn't want that to just disappear in. in um, in a couple of minutes, if you scroll through it really fast, I thought, run it slower, it makes the game seem longer. <laughs> I think some people argue it seems longer, you know, just trying to get past level one, but 
Well, I guess so. But like I said, I, level one is actually the easiest one of them all. I could almost do it blindfolded. Now, there's a game on challenge oh, I want to see. I'd buy well, yeah. for a dollar. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you have to. You <laughs> Maybe just we'll try that the fast. We'll have a competition table. Play Popstar Pilot blindfolded. Up. Blindfolded. Yeah. Popstar run. <laughs> you just have to come down in time to pick up the fuel and then go back up the top of you before any balloons. Because the balloons launch once they appear on the screen. That's when they'll, they'll launch. And the thing is, of course, they've got to float up again, up into the sky. So in the top right, if you fly there, the balloons never get to you. So that's the uh, safe spot. You're not getting any any points either, but you know if it's just a um, just to uh, get through the level, it, it's easy. Oop, and I just got an email from William Athing saying that he's got the pop star pilot. Okay, so now Sleepy, we have to extend the challenge for another week so he can take part. No, I'm just kidding. There that's right. He, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> I would have no objection to that, but I think the game on. Uh, challenge high council would say something about it he's not here today and i might be able to break a thousand yeah <laughs> and i'd be able to submit a score so for you in the panel here like who who got it just recently to play it on the challenge and how versus how many of you have had it since you know nick released it way back when or, or have had it for years i've had it since it first came out i've had it since it first came out i've had it for a while yeah, yeah i've for for a while too, not when it first came out, but I think uh, when I picked up another game um, of his, I did Popstar as well. I picked it. I picked it up is when I got back into the Coco. I was like, Nick Morenti's is selling something. I, I'm sold, and it was sold. it was a note. I didn't have to think about him. Like I thought he was done. He made something else. I got to buy yeah. it. I thought he was dead. No, <laughs> <laughs> not that far. No. <laughs> Wait, he's not. <laughs> Sixty in the chat is saying he bought it after he made his five twelve k upgrade on his own for his Coco three, because that was a good yeah. test for it. Requires five twelve k. I remember that. <laughs> Buck Owen says I didn't have a Coco when it first came out, so <laughs> I had a Coco. I just didn't use it. <laughs> uh, Ken can make it. Uh, Jason's brother says I do as well, blindfolded as not. So he might be actually <laughs> up for the challenge at the fest. <laughs> Sounds like a wager. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's it's quite a good game, and it was kind of like like Nick was saying. There, there was a bit of a resurgence in the cocoa. I I think, um, you know, like even Cocoa Fest tens have been dropping down to like forty to sixty people. From what I heard, I hadn't gone to a lot of those at, during that time period because I was kind of out of it myself, except for the the games page, which honestly I wasn't updating all that often anyway, just keeping it running basically. But um, the, the Cocoa Crew podcast had started which had kind of getting some people back into it type thing. So attendance started to go back up and then a bunch of us, you know, kind of did the preview that became Coco talk. And then the Coco nation show, we kind of did a preview for the fest. Um, so that was also getting people in more interested in it again. And then it kind of kept expanding and like the Coco fest have more than doubled since, you know, that those worst days as far as attendance goes, even after COVID. And, um, you know, obviously Nick's sales have, you know, doubled or tripled since, you know, he did gate crasher back in 2000 and the Pac-Man tribute before that. It's outsold both of those. So um, it definitely was part of the resurgence. And I think, you know, having a new game of that caliber was one of the reasons because, oh, there's new cool stuff coming out. So. 
So thanks, Nick, for creating that and helping suck me back into the active Coco community and <laughs> sucking all my free time. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> I used to have a life, and now I don't. Ferrari. <laughs> we appreciate your sacrifice, Curtis. <laughs> and EOU also. Yeah. It's lovely. No. We don't have to. I thought you were going to say I owe you, and I was going, like, <laughs> crap, how much do I owe you now? <laughs> no, no, it's just yeah, getting you know, the it's entire like, money from Patrick. <laughs> I don't have to know anything about how to gen an OS 9 system. I just get the EOU and put it on my Cocoa SDC, and it works. Thank yeah, you. I'm going to have to explain this all when I'm on Trash Talk next week. Is that, I, some people that don't quite understand what the purpose of EOU is. I don't understand what the difference between Canadian tire money in it and Canadian dollars is. What's the difference? We have we have uh, clear plastic parts you can see through and holograms on the real stuff. Oh, so Canadian tire money is not was that your it's only only good at Canadian dollar? tire. Now, mind you, they did used to sell like Color Computer magazine back in the day, so you could have used it to buy cocoa stuff. Yes, a Saskatoon man bought a canoe with this Canadian tire yeah. money, seven hundred eighty-eight yeah. bucks, right in my own town. Yep. <laughs> Oh, saved so it up it, for years and years, and then he actually went and bought an actual canoe with just this money they give away, like ten cents when you buy a tent or something. Oh, so basically, the Canadian uh, tire money is your old monetary system, and your Canadian dollars <laughs> your new monetary system. Now, our old one was like fur trade stuff with the Hudson Bay Company. You do bring in a beaver pelt, <laughs> get some bread, you know, <clears throat> and some hard and a bear pelt. You'd be you'd be independently wealthy. <laughs> yeah, if Pretty not, <laughs> so I uh, can't right. make it. Is asking, does Canadian Tire sell tires? Yes, they have a whole uh, auto division that does like battery replacements, tires, oil changes, that kind of stuff. So, so is there any other uh, comments, criticisms, words of wisdom from our uh, panel of esteemed guests or in the uh, public? Well, I guess. Uh, I it's still one of my favorite games. People, that's what I'll say. Go ahead, Nick. How many people got uh, got to level five, and how many completed level five? I got to it. I didn't. I didn't actually complete it this this round. I have done it before, but not this time. Right. I thought mainly because it's been so long since I played it. I kind of forgot where everything was. Didn't have time to relearn it all. I thought I used enough computer language to get to level five, but. <laughs> Well, so how far did you actually get in, in reality? Did you get to level two or three? Or? Yeah, I got to level two. I mean, um, yeah, because, I mean, I would have been 13 because my, my score was somewhere between 2,000 and, and 2,700. I don't remember exactly. I think it was like 2,500, 2,600, somewhere in there. So, well, I didn't know if you were trying to farm for points, if you were actually trying to get through levels, because you know, those two totally uh, different strategies. Now, I uh, actually, actually I uh, when I was just like trying to shoot um, – because originally I was just trying to shoot the white balloons to get the bonus for that and then nothing else. And well, I would shoot a red one. If I wasn't, if I didn't already have a white one shot um, to, to get the, the four, four balloon bonus, I would shoot a red one so that I'd get the multi shot. But yeah. for the most part, when I was just trying to go through and I wasn't really doing the, the balloons because the first time I got, I got, I kept uh, dying because I'd run out of fuel. And then when I tried to get just uh, the uh, the red balloons, whatever was in and, and anything that was in front of me, didn't matter what color it was, but I definitely try to uh, uh, target the red balloons to give me multi-shot. Yeah, I always I, target red. I ignore white. If I happen to get a white bonus, great. But if I don't, I don't care. <laughs> yeah, 
I, my biggest problem was just trying to get the, uh, trying to get the, the fuel. So I didn't run out of fuel because more often than not, I would, I mean, I was 50, 50 between running out of fuel and crashing. Oh, okay. I just want to mention that uh, David Craker mentioned in here, uh, before first Ken can make it said, I saw level two once. Uh, David Craker says, finished level five a couple of times. It's funny, I didn't even recognize the level five <laughs> sign the first time you flew by. Because when you get the bonus, and to get to level five, like you can complete the game and you stop at the end of level four. <laughs> you need at least 4,000 points and 25 tokens that you've shot to get to level five. It's kind of a bonus stage. Yeah. So once you do that, then you fly by and you got this zone five spelled out in these big big know, letters, pipes. yeah, just to let you know. You've- yeah, but David said he didn't five. even notice it spelled something the first time it went by, and that reminds me back when you first released it, Nick, I did the same thing. Oh, I just really? flew by. I just got to dodge this thing. What's coming up next? And then you mentioned that. Did you see the word I put there? And no, yeah. <laughs> go back, play it again. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, overall, it was a great game. Um, well done, Nick. Um, even if it is a few years late. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it is a good one. It's it's one of the ones that kind of like I think got other people like Ken came out with Nightmare Highway and stuff later, and then we've had you know Paul Fiscarelli, Paul Shoemaker, and a bunch of others come out with games too. So yep. it kind of got the game market going again too for the commercial games, especially and even some of the free ones. So I mean, there's a lot of stuff that's come out. Yeah. So, so I think that kind of well helped kickstart it as, as well as the fact that you know there was podcast starting, there was live shows starting, there was uh, Coco Fest attendance increasing. Mm-hmm. New hardware coming out, like the Coco SDC and stuff was coming out just before that. I think that helped turn things around too, because trying to find a working floppy drive was starting to get a little bit hairy. Yeah. All right. Is that everything on uh, Popstar Pilot? Or yeah, if you haven't got it yet, go go Pretty purchase well. it. It's it's a good one. You get some bonus stuff if you get the DVD. I think you get a half hour of footage yeah, from a right. show that Jason and Ken were at, I believe. That's right. That was at uh, Penfest uh, two thousand. I know um, I was there. I, you I videotaped it. Yeah, hey. Curtis was there. Yep. Yeah. And we all had we all we all had more hair then. Yep. Yeah. I had my mullet still. I yeah. Think, so that's I mean. that qualifies as more hair. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I keep hearing about I think that was the best, and I that was the first going. time. That was the first time I met Curtis. The only oh, time. What a mistake. Yeah. <laughs> I'm yeah, glad I'm we live so far apart. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I keep hearing about PenFest, how great it was. I hear, I see video of it, and it looks awesome. Why don't we have more PenFests? Jason, do you know what happened to the guy that organized it, Ron Bull? I I don't know what happened to Ron, but I, I, from what I, what I gathered, Nick can probably uh, collaborate with this. I think it was like it was a cost issue with the venue. I think maybe because I think it was it was like near Harrisburg for a few years, but then in '99 and 2000, it was in the pittsburgh area and that's when i when i was able to attend well uh jason you're close to pennsylvania why don't you uh start a new pen fest we'll see i i yeah. I, I think there's <laughs> you, you could even merge plenty. it with boat fest to make it a double bill yeah that's not far either you never know that's i, I know there's a lot of work to put into a show and we don't we don't want to saturate the market with cocoa related shows yeah, Rainbow and uh, Collector Pre Magazine tried it that once. That one year, there was five shows in one year. Fort Worth, New Jersey, Chicago, California, I think, had the Collector Peter Expo. Fort, um, what was the fourth one? Atlanta. But that, that was getting to be too much because the attendance on the later ones that same year started to drop because vendors couldn't afford to go to five Dude. different shows all across the country. So, yeah, you don't want to oversaturate. Was there some in Texas at one point? Fort Worth, yeah. 
Yeah. There's a Rainbow Fest in Fort Worth. That, actually, that was a cool one, which unfortunately I didn't get to go to. But that one, you actually got to tour the Tandy Assembly, uh, the uh, Tandy uh, Cocoa Assembly Line building. You got to see the cocoa's actually getting made. It's nice. the only time at a Rainbow Fest that that ever happened. Oh, yeah, we should schedule something like that because I'd be interested in seeing that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll go to Sloopy's house and we'll watch him solder stuff because that's the assembly lines these days. <laughs> uh, so all right well we have one more week of um of uh lucifer's kingdom and next week let's see here while you're loading i just want to mention a comment from rob inman in the chat he said uh, nick's ferraris aren't going to buy themselves pick up a copy today <laughs> <laughs> Originally, I was going to let's see here. Color script set. Come on, color script set. <laughs> you might as well go for the good one, Jason. Color script set too. Let's just go right to the primo one. <laughs> I almost, uh, I almost selected this. <laughs> Fortress of the Mutant Waffles. <laughs> yeah. What the hell? Is I, that? I actually had I, I I had someone approach me at VCF Midwest talking about this game then we and then actually did find it he remembered it and i found it but uh i think i showed that it's actually movie. fun and it's, it's multi-screen so it's it's mm. you know for a little tape magazine game not bad so but that's not what you picked is it sleepy what was that mark does the improved version come with syrup <laughs> maple syrup of course uh, it's the belgian mm. waffle sequel <laughs> oh, that's the European version. Yeah. Okay, so what's the game, Sloopy? Quit dragging it out. Evidently, uh, Zoom didn't like my joke because uh, Zoom crashed on me. <laughs> so yeah, I, I wrote it down as being this. That's actually next week's game. <laughs> what about Waffle House Nightmare? According to <laughs> can can make it. So because um, Mr. Dave and uh, and uh, Kieran were able to. Uh, get a whole bunch of things done behind the scenes instead of let's try this one more time. All right. No crashing instead of uh, the fortress of the uh, mutant waffles, mutant waffles. We will be playing this game. Um, Why did it move? It's not predator, is it? There it is. Um, we'll be playing Ariel. And now, this one would be cross-platform. This has got an MC10 version, a Coco 3 version, and a Coco 1 and 2 version, correct? Yes. So, I, are we allowing all three versions to be played for the challenge? There it is. The, the Coco. Yes. Uh, we will be allowing all three versions to be played. Um, there is an issue with it in uh, the Coco. Um, as it's done when you're running it on XROAR. So there will be a disc image that's put into the game on um, the game on uh, challenge uh, discord channel uh, that will allow you to play it on the, uh, on, on the, um, it with an XROAR um, because evidently it clashes with deck B, but uh, that will be the game for this week. Um, <clears throat> simply put, you fly a plane and you shoot anything that moves. Yeah, the sequel, the pop star pilot. 
Yes. Actually, I was thinking prequel. Now with added blimps. Yes. So, yeah. I and was... the Coco 3 one, I mean, the, the MC-10 is basically a P-Mode 1 game. Yeah. that's all they had RAM for. Uh, the Coco 1 and 2 is P-Mode 3, so slightly higher fidelity. And the Coco 3 actually, I think, uses 16-color mode, doesn't it? Um, I have not played the Coco 3 version. I was working on the uh, the the one and two version to make sure everything was good so that we could play it because literally this only came down an hour before the show. <laughs> uh, Cause otherwise we were going to play. Well, actually no, we might play that next week, but no <laughs> waffles was actually, uh, was actually a third string choice. <laughs> I don't know. I, I, I just thought it had a really cool name and I was like, Oh, that'd be really cool. <laughs> so. Uh, you do, you do tend to say waffles a lot during the uh, live game streams. Yeah, exactly. So I figured that might be fitting, but uh, I wanted to try it out before I considered it. And uh, because I do not torture people with games unless I play them myself, unlike some other people on the uh, game on High Council. I won't name names or anything, but this Canadian Ken is uh, notorious for such things. So, uh, so you published the links, I guess, to the MC10 and Coco 3 versions, or do you are you going to post the cassette images all in the uh, Discord channel? I'm going to uh, post a link to the site, um, okay. but the uh, the Coco um, I already did the Coco one and two. I'm going to uh, post the uh, disc image so that uh, you can easily download it and then play it. Because uh, even on a Coco SDC, if you have Deck B enabled, when you load it, it's it won't run on a real Coco. You have to have Deck B uh, uh, disabled. It yeah, comes- I think there, there's a utility called ROML, which stands for ROM Pack Loader. It was put up by MTP in 1982. And it was meant originally to run cartridges up in the area on a 64K machine. But it also has an option where if it loads in something into low memory, it'll disable this basic first. Mm-hmm. Tell you where it loaded. You hit a key and it just fires it up and runs. It runs unless the game's huge and fills thirty two k and overwrites itself. Mm-hmm. It it usually works. And so if you pick that up from the Color Computer Archive ROML, that's what it's called. Um, then you should be able to run it that way too, even with this basic or STC DOS without any problems. Yes. Yeah, because uh, it's uh, a fun game. I've I've tried it out, and I think that uh, we should. Uh, I think that. Uh, Inufuto, if you're listening out there, Inufuto should make it because several of the games, well, every game I've tried uh, today had this problem from his site. So, yeah, he's he's creating all of his stuff for cassette. I think, and I know I, I did wasn't aware this was a popular thing in Japan. I know in in Europe, disc drives were so expensive that almost nobody had them. This is whether you're a Spectrum or you're a Coco or Dragon or whatever. So a lot of people just stayed with cassette basically the entire time they had these computers, and that's just what they were used to. Um, and apparently in Japan, that must have been pretty popular too. I know here in North America and Australia, basically everybody flipped over to disk drives. So a lot of people patched the games that they had. You know, like the original releases of Tom Mix and Spectral had the same problem. You yeah. know, you put in a disk drive that wouldn't work. Or you needed extra RAM because it had filled up 16K, and now you needed, you know, just 2K more. So you required 32K to run. Well, I mean, he's uh, these were released in, two, in 2021, so... And it's like other systems have ROM images. So why can't these be ROM images also? That's what I'm wondering. Probably just harder to load for people on real hardware, I guess, because he's releasing a cassette file so you can load on real hardware. 
Well, then most people can't make their own ROMs at home. Then he should make a disc image because yeah, I agree. Doesn't doesn't anyone that actually uses a uh, Coco more than two three times have a Coco SDC? Nowadays, yeah. I, I don't know if in Japan if he even knows about all that stuff though. And I, I don't know if he speaks English well enough to even talk to him. I don't even know how to get old to be honest. Buck Owen said, "Cool, there's a Tier City Model One version." So I guess the first question: Are we going to allow that? <laughs> yeah. Any any version that he has on there, you can you can use for the game. Isn't it all the same game? Basically, it should be the same. Yeah, yep. it it's just yeah. So there's Commodore sixty four, Vic twenties, Spectrums, Acorns, Tier yeah, City yeah. Model One through two threes, Apple twos, Ataris. Yeah, because we I think we did we play another game of his before. Yes, um, yeah. going um, to the ladders and stuff. Um, Can't remember the name of it off the top of my head. Yeah, it's. Uh... Anyway, if you're on our Coco Discord, go to the Game on Challenge uh, channel, and uh, Marcus posted the link so you can go get them. Um, if you're loading off cassette, it should just straight work. If you wanted to like download the uh, WAV file and just play it through the cassette port, do a Claude M. Um, if you're running it on a disk system, either you can get the patch ones for the emulators, as uh, Slippy was mentioning, or you can just get the raw metal utility. You should be able to load that through that as well. So, yeah, I think we played uh, Maisie because Lift. Buck Owens just remind me, Lift was the game we previously played by Unifudo. Oh, Lift, yeah, yeah, because that was the game that I actually played on the Atari on the Game on Challenge to see if anyone would notice and. A couple of people said, is your color set right? Yours looks a little different. <laughs> well, that's because you're a little different, I think. <clears throat> yes, absolutely. <laughs> so, and uh, I do believe that's all for the Game On. Uh, now, the only thing we have left is the uh, Game On Challenge Live. Yep. Which was a, uh, uh, a success. We had seven people playing this week. But I all I I owe that all to um, the fact that we had a wonderful game, Popstar Pilot. That's the whole reason why we had all these people. Not because it, the show's great or anything, but because we had a great game. So and I couldn't make it. Yeah, I'm sorry. I wish we could change the time and date to make it everybody happy, but unfortunately, time the Earth is, the Earth is kind of round. Yeah, and tilted and all this other stuff. So, this is where I kind of wish we were flat earthers. Can we just make everything the same? Not just kidding. Oh, be like China where they only have one time zone. <laughs> yeah. Hey, hang on. The earth is round? Uh, no, it's, it's a. So, uh, so rumored. It's oval. It's, it's an oblate spheroid. I don't even know what that means. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's egg shaped. Yes, it's going all pear shaped. <laughs> kind of like the show. Yes, and uh, yeah, so we had uh, seven uh, up to seven people playing. Um, we had uh, Ken in his final appearance on the on the game on challenge. Unless he unless he survives <laughs> Las Vegas, then we'll see him again. But who knows? Possibilities are endless. I told him don't get married while there, but we know how Ken is. I mean, he's popular with all the ladies. You so, know how Vegas is. Yep. Yeah, they say what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas, but I find that's not always true. And no, it uh, ends up on TikTok eventually. So. Yeah. Oh, so we'll get video of it. Cool. 
but yeah, it's uh, it was a uh, popular show. Had a lot of people there and a lot of talking. We uh, even had uh, uh, Brian Walsh show up and uh, show us how to play the game, um, and how to get to level five. Well, how not to get to level five? That, that was a six C mention too, wasn't it? Yeah, wasn't that six C that recommended that game? Um, honestly, I don't know. Even it's quite good. It's it's got uh, smooth scrolling. It's kind of like you know Nick's, except going in the other direction, up and down instead, and uh, actually has a bit of a parallax effect too with the starfield and stuff going at different speeds in the planet platforms and stuff. So I was quite impressed with it actually, <clears throat> though the directions are kind of crappy because there's all these different things you can shoot and you know mm-hmm. you something you have to hit multiple times. There's like bonus multipliers. There's other things you can pick up and half of them I don't know what they do. The crystals I did. Yeah, I uh, do believe that um, that uh, Sixty did recommend it, though. Now I think about it. But yeah, we will. Yeah, he uh, did also. Um, he did, yeah. Oh, yeah, good. Um, yeah, we will be playing uh, Lucifer's Kingdom for one more week this coming week. So please come out to the Game On Challenge live. It doesn't uh, take much to uh, come and join us. Doesn't um, cost anything. Doesn't cost anything. Um, not including your own, your own home internet and computer. Um, and Sloopy, do you know, just did Sixty make it so that it works on the online X or two for those that don't want to bother downloading and emulate that? I don't know, but what I can do is check real quick. Um, because that's another option because some people don't like installing all, you know, the software and stuff on their machine, but you can just spontaneously just go fire it up in the online. That'd be great. Right, and, it's running your browser, and if you show up, you don't you don't have anything set up. We can help you set it up right there on the show, step by step. And Lucifer's Kingdom, Luce. Uh, hmm. It doesn't seem to be on the. Uh, It's not on the uh, Coco Archive. Probably on the Dragon Archive. Does that have a play now button too? Uh, well, yeah, 60 saying it'll it. work, but it's not there to pick from a menu. You still need to download the disk, but it, you said it's not even on the archive. I thought I did see it on the archive, though. Uh, no. Maybe I can't spell Lucy. Not that spelling out. Nope. Probably on the dragon. Oh, yeah, the <clears throat> Coco Port, Lucifer's Kingdom Orange software under cassettes games. So the cassette version, not the new disc version, obviously. Ah, uh, cassette version. I mean, I found the manual on uh, the archive. Yeah. <laughs> what there is of a manual. Well, the manual did not impress me. The game did, but the manual did not. Well, it was just the inside sleeve of a cassette. Lucifer's Kingdom. Nope, there is no no uh, play now button for it. <clears throat> so you have to download the disk image locally and then uh, load it through your browser if you want to run it through XR Online. Yeah, but yeah, if anyone wants to uh, learn how to uh, get their computer set up to uh, use an emulator, um, just join us on the show and we will uh, fu- uh, help you step by step. And get it uh, working and running, and you can play uh, the game on of the week, or you could play any game, really. Um, 
you aren't limited to just the, the two games that we're currently playing to play on the game on Challenge Live. You can play any Coco game on the Coco or Dragon or MC10. You just have to show up play something that 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 has color in the computer's name. So or Dragon <laughs> or CP400 or Alice or, or Sample. Yes. Well, you get the idea. So uh, thank you for joining us uh, on the uh, Game on Challenge Live and uh, hope to see you next week. And that's it for the Game On. Cool. <laughs> and those of you wondering about the two games, if you haven't played them yet, I do have entries for them on my site as of yesterday, finally. Quite late. Mikey wants to know if he can play Color Scripts it. Yes. He's going to rate that. Yes. Yes. I will shrink his window to the side he, when he does, but yes, you can. He has to be on the Coco, but he can. You have um, okay. you have Ariel on your on your uh, game site, Curtis. I don't know if I do or not. That's a good question. I don't know if I have any of the interviews on there yet. To, to, to everyone. Uh... Everyone else on the panel? No, he doesn't because I try to pick games he doesn't have on there to help him get motivated. <laughs> to on there. Now the dirty <clears throat> secret comes out. You and Ken Sloopy are bastards. <laughs> yes, that's the next Coco Nation T-shirt. Sloopy <laughs> and Ken are bastards. Ken and Sloopy hey. are bastards. Hey, if it's a way to motivate them, you know it hey, works. I have enough stuff on my plate. Thank you very much. Hey, 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 I am not a bastard. I know exactly who my mother is. I mean, she may she may be past, but still, I know who she was or is. So. Uh, shall we shall we go to commercial? Yes, please, quick. Yes, please. The Coco Nation show is an unscripted live and interactive broadcast. Anything can and will happen. The views and opinions expressed by members of the panel and the live audience are their own and not necessarily those of the Coco Nation show, its sponsors, affiliates, or subsidiaries. Open minds are encouraged and a sense of humor is recommended. Thank you for being a part of the Coco Nation. The Coco Nation Show would like to thank the following patrons. Alex Gayer, Brendan Donahue, Brian Walsh, Brian Weasler, Kieran Inscombe, Daddy Burrito, Diego BF109, Dinty's Hideaway, Don Barber, Eric Canales, Glenn Hewlett, Grant Leedy, Henry Strickland, Justin Larson, Ken Reichard, Mike Rayburn, Patrick Euland, Paul Fiscarelli, Paul Shoemaker, R. Alan Murphy, Retro Tech Time, Rob Inman, Rocky Hill, Steve Batson, Terry Stege, Tom C., Tom Gunderson, Tom S., Tony C., William Mathing. Thank you so much, patrons. Welcome to everybody's favorite segment, Who's New to Discord? Jab73 says, Hello, my name is John and I just bought my first Coco computer, a Coco 2. I had a VIC-20 and ZX Spectrum in the 80s and I'm looking to reacquaint myself with classic home computers. Matt E. Fresh says, Hi, I'm Matt P. 
I have had many Cocos between 81 and 1995. My best one had SCSI hard disk home brew extended RAM and four modems which ran a home brew OS 9 BBS. Moved to Slackware around 95. But still like to play with Coco via the emulator from time to time, and think of all the good times I had on the Coco. The previous bios were edited for time. Thanks to, Boys in Tech, Cruise Mongers, Glenside Computer Club, Night Beard, Paul Fiscarelli, Paul Shoemaker, Tandy Color Computer 3, and the Coco Nation patrons for boosting the server. Please consider joining Discord and visiting the welcome section to read these bios in full and see what the community has to offer. Just go to discord.thecoconation.com. Because cocoing is better together. When you want the latest in TRS-80, Tandy, Dragon, MC-10, and all of their hardware cousins, no matter what it takes, or where news breaks, from around the world, to your nation, the Coco Nation News, with L. Curtis Boyle. Okay, take it away, Curtis. Okie dokie. We'll do the game on news first. <clears throat> you guys should be seeing that. Mm -hmm. Hey, Where? so the first one here is a Jim Gary, surprise, surprise, MC10 port. So this one here is called Gin Rummy, and it's based on a version 2.5 released in 1980, originally by S. Silverman for the Tier City Model 1 and 3. So he's added some color, et cetera, to it. And uh, this one, he he did a bit more work. Like you can see the game playing here on the video. But he also did a blog post kind of explaining the history of the game and his conversion of it here. So if you go onto his blog at jimgaryblogspot.com and take a look at the uh, entry for this particular one here, you can kind of see what some of the original versions look like on different machines. Here's the Tier City Model 1.3, which is just text, basically. And then his original version of the MC10 one, and he kind of goes through the conversion process of converting from you know slightly different basic to Coco basic. And it had the ad for the original uh, commercial version because this was originally a commercial game at some point too, on the Atari. So there's up to version four, etc. for the PC. So it's kind of got a whole history to it as well as the conversion. So that's it's kind of interesting. And Jim does this every once in a while. He doesn't do it for every port because he does five billion of them per week, but. Uh, sometimes it's interesting to get some of the little quirks, and sometimes he's even had to fix bugs in the original game. And you'll get some of that stuff when he does his blog spots. So you got all history here to read on this one. So that's cool. Next up, <clears throat> uh, Sheldon McDonald. Now, of course, we did his Treasure Island Defense, the uh, standard DAC sound version. Doesn't require any extra sound hardware like he sold on, on cartridge previously. But he had promised us when it was the Game On Challenge, and I think that was only about two weeks ago, wasn't it? That we did that one? He was promising he was going to release a source code to it. So he's actually posted on Facebook uh, that he has released a source, and this is the direct link you click on in Facebook. Um, <clears throat> and this includes his entire IDE. Now, his IDE is set up to do a semi-language for the 68000 and the 6809, and it's meant to target both the Coco and the Sega Genesis. Now, he doesn't have separate downloads for the source code for treasure on defense it's part of the main 
zip archive that has the entire IDE and the six to 8,000 Sega Genesis stuff is included in there too. So that's what you have to go in and grab. And the link up here, the Proto ID Editor, if you grab that, it's actually got a subfolder that in, within it that actually has the source code for Treasure Island Defense. So if you want to go grab it, you can grab that too. And he's done some updates to it here, but I think he's got it set up so that the current link is always this one. So if he doesn't update, if you just click the same link like the next week, you'll you get the new version of it. So it's cool that he released all that. Um, he's been doing some improvements, of course, to the ID editor and stuff. He's got some stuff he's working on on there that he'll be releasing fairly soon from the sounds of it. So look for some more stuff. I think the latest version update he did includes a sample Sega Genesis uh, source code that you can actually uh, play around with. It's got a thing called Chicken something. I can't remember what it is, but there's a little bit of a program there for the Genesis. Next up, we have Sibling Rivalry, their latest episode. Episode 71, this is Tim and AJ, who will be at Coco Fest. should mention that. Uh, decided to play Color Computer Coco 3 Gantlet 2. So this is the Color Computer 3 unique 16-color version, sequel to the original Gantlet. And it's, of course, going to the arcade game Gauntlet. Gauntlet 2, in this case, because it does have some of the extra features Gauntlet 2 has. I'm going to have to mute this one, because there's, uh, there's some colorful metaphors flying around on this one. <laughs> And then there's a mention here. You'll see the title is Where Did the Nipples Go? AJ, and when I saw that title, I was going, what the heck are they going to be talking about? Tell me. And Tim pointed out, and I never really noticed this before, but if you look at the warrior character, the way his shoulders are set up, it has a little uh, dot in the middle of a darker red, kind of to make it look like a muscle or something like that. But actually, and it kind of does look like it once he tells you this, kind of looks like breasts, bare breasts with nipples on them. But when you rotate the sprite, depending what direction you're going, there's one specific direction. Those dots disappear. They didn't carry it over when they rotated it. So the title of the episode, Where Did the Nipples Go, is talking about that. But uh, they, they play the game for a couple of levels. Um, AJ is, from sounds of it, not really played a gauntlet before. So she didn't know, like, how, know how food worked and some other things. So um, the game is quite a lot of fun. It's the only Coco game I know of that actually has four simultaneous players. So two people share the keyboard and you get two joysticks. And you can actually play with all four at once. This would be a cool one to do at their booth, actually, uh, at the show, because they can have both of them playing, plus two other people can join in. So we'll see if they actually do that or not. But uh, I will mention, I did try to 6309 optimize this game a tiny, tiny bit. Um, the code's pretty tight already, and I I did, I can just kick it into native mode because it also access the disc. The game's meant to run 128K. So every time you go to a different level, it'll load stuff off disk. It can save high scores to disk and stuff too. So uh, and rather than find all the disk routines and you know kick native mode off and all that stuff, I just patched the drawing routine. Because it's interrupt driven on the VSync, it doesn't actually speed up, but you can kind of see, a, I don't know if you can see it on the stream here, but you can see kind of a little bit of a ripply effect as it's drawing the background floor and the walls and stuff. That smooths out a little bit. I, I didn't deem it really worth uploading it separately because uh, it didn't really do too much to improve the game. <clears throat> but if anybody's interested and wants to try that uh, and maybe convince me otherwise that maybe I should release it, uh, just let me know. I can send you one in Discord just through a private message. And if enough people sound like it, it is interesting enough to release it that way, I can give you a very slightly 6 or 9 optimized version. But it's a lot of fun. It has some digitized sound effects right from the original arcade game. I remember... Uh, Dave Dies was quite proud of it. If you just go through our Dave Dies interview we did, this is one of those games where they did a pre-release screenshot when they were developing it, which had just plain black background, just like the original Gantlet for the Coco 1 did. It just had the walls and the creatures. 
And then by the time it actually came out, they did the full, you know, fully drawn floors and stuff here. So the game actually looks much better on the release than the original ads looked. Which, uh, usually it goes the other way around. <laughs> so, but a lot of fun. And uh, I hope this is one game that they'll play at, at, at Coco Fest here because then they can get a couple of audience participation members to join in with them. And that'd be kind of fun to play. Fred Provencia says that if they don't set it up, he will. <laughs> I, I, it's definitely easier with two joystick, uh, two button joysticks too. I will mention because you can do your potion as well as your your attack. So it have to be set up with two deluxe joysticks plus two people crammed on the keyboard. And the keys are specifically set up so that there's a a, a set of I think six keys on the left and six keys on the right of a Coco Three keyboard to play this on. So you have to like you know be very near somebody. I don't know if I want to play this with David Ladd, you know, as the second keyboard player from the first one. Ooh. <laughs> I suppose he left the show and he actually didn't hear that smarmy comment. Man. Hey, great, great episode. Great game to pick from. Um, if you have never played Gamlet 2 before, I definitely would recommend giving it a shot. There's actually somebody had reverse engineered how the whole map system is set up. And there's a separate disc you can get on the computer archive. So you can actually view all the maps. In fact, you can edit them and create your own. So that'd be kind of an interesting thing to do at some point, too. Anyway, definitely go check their uh, their whole series is hilarious. I don't I only bring them up on the show when they're doing Coco stuff because we're a Coco show, but they have other other systems too, like in televisions and ColecoVisions and Ataris and other home computers and stuff too. And if you're just into gaming in general for uh, all platforms, it's definitely a channel worth checking out. Next up, and I've been helping uh, Jeff here with his uh, the Coco side of his chronological game, which is covering every arcade game every home console and every home computer going in and roughly chronological order there was some that he missed on, in 1981 because basically he goes through ones he has specific release dates for first in release date order and then he has a catch-up series where he goes alphabetically with everything that you you, you release a certain year but you have no idea when so i'd gone and done some back research and found some really old obscure ones that he hadn't covered yet and i hadn't covered yet because i didn't know i had copies of them so they're now on my website too as of two weeks ago um, so the couple ones that he covered this past week on the Coco, uh, the first one here is covering Artillery Duel and Battlefleet. These are two very early Spectral Associates games. So Spectral did their very first ad in 80 Micro in February of 1981. So the Coco got announced July of 1980, started coming on the stores around September, October-ish. So these games would have been released, you know, four or five months uh, after the Cocoa itself got released, so they had very little time to learn basic and and start cranking these out. And the two he picked here is Artillery Duel, which is a 4K game, and Battlefleet, which is 16K extended basic, so kind of running the gamut, because basically at that time, that's all you had, 4K, and the maxed out Cocoa was 16K extended, that's all you had. Um, so Battlefleet is basically a clone of Battle um, Ship, but with some twists. You can place your ships diagonally and stuff, and you have a couple different modes you can choose from for actually how often you get to fire and stuff. So it actually has a bit of an innovation. It's just standard basic stuff. Artillery Duel, I'm sure a lot of you have seen the old artillery. Like I first played it on the Pet in 1979, which basically it just draws a random mountain, and then you have your two players on either side, and you have to do angle and velocity of your shots. You get to fire one at a time, and then you try to kill the other player before he kills you. Uh, this one is a little bit different. It's one player only, so you're playing against the computer. The computer is actually shooting at you from the other one. And actually, I'll get this playing in the background while we're going to kind of see what I'm talking about. 
So you're the player on the left, and you've got the elevation and uh, muzzle velocity, I think is what the other one stands for. But basically, you're in real time trying to figure out the angle and the shot while the computer, and the you know, computer always fires fairly off from where you are at first, and then gradually gets closer and closer. So you kind of have a real-time time limit here of trying to get uh, the computer destroyed before he gets you. And it's just 4K, basic program. Nothing too fancy, but uh, it was a different bit of a take. It's like, um, I wish David Ladd was still here because I know we play some of these, but there's modern multiplayer online games that do the same type of thing with except eight players or ten players at once where you're getting bonus weapons and stuff too. But it's basically the same premise as this. You're just starting to fire and kill each other first. And uh, it was kind of interesting to see a real-time single-player version of it this far early in the Cocos history. This is literally from February of 81. Because I'd, I'd seen it advertised, but I had no idea what it even looked like. So that was kind of cool. And then the second one was the Battlefleet one. I'll just show a little bit of that. I don't think he played it too long. But so here you're placing your ships, and you've got not quite the same range of ships as you have in the actual Battleship game. Battleship lets you do pieces that are two to five squares across. This one only has two to four, so two, three, and four. But there's more of them. There's nine ships you get to place, and the computer does the same and then you start firing back and forth at each other type thing. And like I said, there's a couple different game modes. So it's up on my website if you want to get some details on it. This one came out a little bit later. I think this was April of 81 or May or something like that. So it's a little bit later. But it kind of reminded me, and I kind of had forgotten about this. Uh, the first year of the Coco, uh, the third-party stuff, there was a lot of basic games. There was not too many ML because people were still learning the machine. I mean, the 6 and a 9 had been out for a year or two before the Coco came out. The VDG had been out for a couple of years. I think it came out in 78 or maybe in 77. But the SAM chip, which is actually how you do some of the graphics and mapping of, of graphics RAM on the Coco, the Coco was the first computer ever to have that chip. That was a brand new chip. In fact, I, I remember going through some of the old 68 microjournal and some other early, early magazines in 1980, and there was bugs in that chip, and there was overheating problems in that chip. There was a lot of recalls from Tandy in late 1980 to replace them. And they had to do a new mask of the chip there because they were having all kinds of issues. So kind of reminded me there was a lot of basic stuff. I, I think the most famous of those is probably Illustrated Memory Banks, Fred Skirbo, who ended up writing a lot of columns for Rainbow. Um, but you could sell basic games back then fairly easily. And then, you know, by the time 82, 83, if you were doing a game, you pretty well had to do it in assembly language. And then the other one he covered on a different episode was the uh, Crosswords. Uh, I don't know how many of you play. This is actually a Radio Shack cartridge game. Crosswords for the TRS-80 Coco. So this is another It's, it's a bit game. of a an odd crossword. I've, I've, there's some other crossword games done by, I think, Tom Mix and others that actually make a bit more sense to me as a crossword. But it's it's not bad. Um, I don't know if anybody here on the panel's ever played it. But anyway, that was the games he covered. So he's he's kind of going alphabetically in 1981 for the remaining games. And there's some more Coco ones coming up that I'd found that he had not covered. And I'm currently working with him actually on the 1982. So if you guys are wondering why I'm always busy, that's another reason. Because there's hundreds of games for 1982. 1982 is when Tom Mix really started to take off and really started to take off and Computerware and Mark Data and a bunch of others. So there's a lot of research to do. Anyway, it's a really good channel. If you're into games, definitely go check his channel out. He streams live 9 p.m. Central Time every weekday. Um, and he's interactive with the chat, as I mentioned before. Love to see some of you guys in there to comment some of the Coco games, too. You now, this rang. one. Yeah, a few times there, David, but uh, you're late. Now, this one, I'm hoping Sixy is still in the chat. Because this is a channel that I've never seen before. And they literally uploaded all this Dragon stuff literally in the last week. 
And basically, it looks like what he's doing is that he's gone through a couple other consoles. If you scroll way down, I think he's done some uh, ColecoVision and some other things, too. But basically, it looks like he's doing an alphabetical order of games on the Dragon. So back over... Oh, he just uploaded some more since I, I last checked this morning. So, <laughs> okay, there's a whole bunch of new ones. Anyway, the whole batch that he's been doing recently has been Dragon. He's got dozens and dozens of games in there. And they're just quick clips. They're not like full plays or anything like that. They does basically a 30 to 40 second live clip of the game. But there's a few of these that I don't remember seeing. There's a few that I think are screwed. Like Dragonhawk, I don't think these lines are supposed to be there. So you might have a corrupt copy. Um, let's see if I can find some ones. Like Donkey Derby, I don't remember ever seeing that one. The, the Dominoes Dice one, I don't remember seeing. Doodoo, which is basically Pango. Um or a, a version of Pango that I've not seen before. We've had Pangon Ice Master on the Coco. But there's there's a few games here I've never seen. And of course, some of the other ones you get to see them as they looked on the dragons. Of course, they didn't have artifact colors, so a lot of games got changed to the green screen mode, like you see here, like Demon Seed and Devil Assault and Demolition Derby, which was a red candy cartridge here in North America. But it's kind of cool that he's going through all of these um games. In an alphabetical order, because I've seen some that I've like Kriegspiel, I've I've seen ads for it. I've never seen the gameplay for. Um Kung Fu Master, the original, not the Shaolin Master Plus, whatever the later one was called. Junk Food, that's actually a game that was published as a listing in Rainbow you could type in. Um but yeah, Karen, Karen, I, I would love you to go through some of these and uh see if there's any games you have not seen before, because there's a few here I don't remember seeing. And we had that other channel that we'd covered that used to cover a lot of dragon games. And uh, there's a few here, like I said, I've not seen seen before. So that's kind of cool. Like if you dare, I've never, it's a 3D maze game, but I've never heard of that one. Kind of a 3D thing. The only problem I have with this, this page is for some reason, I don't know why he's doing this. Maybe he doesn't know the setting, but he's actually zooming the screen in, I think to get it to fit to the sides, but it's actually cutting the top and the bottom off. So the stuff like your score and number of men left is not even on the screen. So it's kind of a little bit chopped. Uh, that's my only bad thing to say about it. It's just cool. You see him cranking these out like crazy. Um, I still can't get used to Zach's on P-Mode 3. But yeah, a lot of cool stuff in here and some games, like I said, I've never seen before. Karen, I'm kind of curious if you've seen a lot of those. Because um, uh, I'd like to try to maybe throw some of these in the game on Challenge later if we can get them working on the Coke or if we can find them because he's got some I haven't seen. And anyway, go check out that. There's a lot of cool stuff on here. And then the last one here is kind of a collaboration effort. So if you guys are on the Amigos Discord, I know a few people like Alan are. Mr. Dave is. I myself am. Um, they have some coders in there. And one of them goes by the name of Happy Coding X. And he lives in Europe. And I'm trying to remember what European. It's a Balkan country. So I can't remember. Anyway, he's uh, a Spectrum programmer, basically. And uh, he's done a couple of pretty cool games. One he actually did as kind of a tribute to Brent and Aaron from the Amigos. He actually has them as characters, and it's it's conversion to the spectrum from an old French game. I can't remember the name of it off the top of my head, but you basically you're serving people in a restaurant and stuff in real time. You got to like run and do stuff. There's an elevator, pick up food. So he did some quirky stuff like that. But one of the things he's most famous for is he did a a raw conversion from the actual arcade asteroids to the spectrum. And it's not just uh, like a you know. I did a clone of it. It's he basically has ported the code, kind of like a trans code, like we've been seeing, you know, in the in the cocoa market from Glenn Hewlett and Sockmaster and others. 
And he did that, and it's, it was a really hyped-up game and a really good version of Asteroids based on the actual arcade game that he came up with a couple years ago. Well, Paris Surratt, the guy who did the AGD engine, which is also a Spectrum engine that he's converted to the Dragon the Coco, we've seen tons of games. There's like a couple hundred plus now. Um, he's actually working with Happy Coding to convert the uh, Spectrum Asteroids RX, it was called, to the Dragon the Coco. And this is an early version of it, and it's mostly working. Um, there's a few things he's still working, but I thought you guys might always see this because I didn't even know Para was working on this at all. So this came as a surprise to me. You can see, like, he's actually got, if I remember Hobby Coding showing uh, some source code on one of their International Computer Club meetups, um, he's actually got things to simulate the vectors from the game. So it actually, the game source contains the vectors, just like the original arcade game does, and then they get translated to line commands internally in the machine language. And so Paired would be doing the same thing here, which is why you can actually see, like, the scores and the high score and free ships that you got left. Is all looks like the actual Asteroids arcade game because it is based on the original Asteroids arcade game as opposed to just doing clones. That seems to be playing a pretty good clip here, and he's not done. Uh, he's still working on it. So look forward to a new Asteroids transcode coming out. And this works on, will work on a Dragon 3264 or a Coco 1, 2, or 3. Uh, so this is, a, I think, the first full blown transcode that is not going to require Coco 3, as far as I know. Uh, can any of you correct me? Is that, has there been a transcode for the Google One and Two before? Does anybody know of one? No, I not, can't. not that I know of. Okay, so this this will be a first. So I'm I'm really looking forward to seeing this here. Uh, can can make it sound is a bit harsh. That's actually one of the comments from one of the people um, in here too. The sound is awful, headache inducing even. <laughs> And he goes, still work in progress. Hope you enjoy the rest of it. He says, yeah, no offense meant to him. I'm guessing emulation versus speaker on the real thing is making it far worse than would have been hardware. Quite probable. Um, but yeah, it's uh, it's a really good version of Asteroids. And we've, we've got a couple pretty good clones of it, like uh, Star Blaster, which we have done on the Game On Challenge before, is a, a really good one that I really like. As someone who poured way too many quarters into Asteroids, this is Asteroids. I'm impressed. Just yeah, the movement, the rocks, everything. It, you know, it's obvious it's the right code. It's not an approximation. Yeah, especially when you look at something with just pure horizontal and vertical lines like the scores, like it looks like asteroids. It looks like vector beam. And, and it, it just it moves like asteroids. The you know, it's it's right. Yeah. Yeah. No, I was very impressed. I didn't even know he was working on this. Like this is, came as a complete surprise to me. Um Though he made a hint about it. Like, I actually talked to him once in a while when I'm not too busy with work stuff. I pop in there, Discord, the Amigos Discord, because he streams live coding of Z80, uh, Z80. Well, he calls Z80 because he's in Europe. Um, but he actually does live coding. Like, you're watching him do the source code and assemble it and then pop it into the emulator and run it and, you know, test it. Because he's done a few games uh, over the last one. He's still working on others. And uh, he kind of hinted on the last time I popped in there that, oh, there'll be something cool for you to see pretty soon there. And he mentioned Para, and I know, of course, you know, Para has done a lot of stuff for the Dragon and the Coco 2 as far as converting stuff and fixing programs and stuff uh, to work. If there's been bugs, the AGD port's the big main thing I think he's most well-known for. In fact, he's the one working on the uh, uh, the Dragon Plus Electronics has that uh, upgrade, the MSX board, Super Sprite board, 
And he's the one who's been doing the conversions of the Spectrum engine stuff to have like 16 colors and background sound and music and all that kind of stuff. So Parrot knows what he's doing. So I'm, I'm, it's really cool that he's actually been collaborating with uh, Happy Coding. So two, two game coders on two different retro machines that I've known for at least a year or two are collaborating to bring to the Cocoa at Asteroids based in the arcade. That's just awesome. Anyway, that's the end of the Game On News. Now, this is a bit shorter because, of course, Ken did cover the Game On News last last episode when I wasn't able to be here. So, But now we've got two weeks of news to catch up. So hang on. It's going to be a long one. Put on your jammies. Yep. Let me get a sip of water here before I get to this. The drugs are kicking in. <laughs> yeah. Get, get your well, pillow out, your Nick. Pillow. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, let's go back to. Let me guess, Mikey's already down. <laughs> yeah, probably. <laughs> hey, are you guys seeing that? Text wall text. Yeah, wall text. Cool. That's exactly what I want to show you. Hey, right, so Pierre Sarazin, and of course he's the guy who does CMOC, the uh, C like compiler, which actually has been used on multiple projects. It works with OS nine and with this basic. Um, it has graphics libraries now for the Cocoa three and the Cocoa one and two. Uh, several games have been released under this. If you guys remember, under EOU, there's a Color Eights game, kind of based on Crazy Eights, that was written in CMOC. Um, Jamie Cho did a Cocoa three Space Invaders game with uh, sixteen color graphics, digitized sound effects, and all kinds of stuff that was done with CMOC. So it's quite a good compiler, and he keeps updating not only the compiler itself, but he also updates all these libraries that you can add on. And the update he has in this last couple of weeks is that he's upgraded BGraph. Now, that's up in the upper corner here. So it's public domain. And this is basically a C graphics library that is similar to basics, line, draw, paint, circle commands, etc. It doesn't call the basic routines. I think if I remember his original versions of these libraries when he first came out, CMOC was basically just called you know, yes. extend the basic and let it do the, the coding for you. Uh, so these are actually redone and you don't need extended basic installed at all or basic for that matter. You can run like a 64K game completely on its own using this graphics library. The library also now supports clipping lines on a rectangle using the Cohen Sutherland algorithm, which I don't have a clue it is, and supports Catmull ROM splines. I don't know what that is either. Um, any of you guys that are you know, into math and things, uh, do it's any of you know that sentence, Curtis? Computer principles and practice by Foley, Van Dam, etc. That's like the Bible of computer graphics stuff. These are widely used routines needed for different kinds of computer graphics functions. So he's just really plugging in good stuff into the library. Okay, so the clipping, I would imagine, this is when you're drawing a rectangle of something; it goes off the screen. It'll clip it, or if it goes off a window, if you're supporting Windows. I don't know if CMOC does yet. Um, splines, that's something to do with curves, isn't it? Yes. Can, can you draw mathematical handles and move the curve shape using them? Okay. So this was the reference in SimCity to reticulating splines? Could be. Okay. He does point out these functions do not use floating point arithmetic. I don't know if he's using fixed point or if he's using integers or, you know, high byte of an integer is a, a, a non-fractional part or something. I'm not sure exactly what he's doing here. But anyway, he's updated the library. He's added these new features. It no longer requires any ROMs mapped in at all. So if you want to make a 64K game on a Cocoa 1.2 or a Dragon 64, you can. 
uh, and still draw the graphics without requiring the ROMs to get mapped in and shorten your program. So, and he keeps updating, like we've covered some other updates he's done recently, like I don't know, B Sounds one he updated not too far long ago. And his page here actually has downloads of projects that other people have done using CMOC in these libraries to make games. We mentioned the Color 8s, like here you can download the Color 8s program, and there's both the Disk Basic and OS 9 versions there. Um, another card game one here. Um, Mikey himself, DW Term, is written in CMOC, and that's the DriveWire terminal program he wrote. Um, Bouncy Ball by Lee Patterson. If you remember that, that was another game that you know came up when we first started getting going to fests again, a lot of us. Um, that was a new one that he'd brought out. That was written in CMOC as well. But there's a whole ton of stuff here, and it's constantly getting updated. There's constantly getting stuff added to it. So um, if you want to program a Lisp, Jamie Cho apparently has done a Lisp thing back in 2017. So there's a ton of stuff here. So if you're, if you're more familiar with C, and you'd rather write a game in C than trying to learn a semi-language, but still get some you know, pretty close to semi-language speeds on these games, this might be your baby. And uh, Space Bandits by Jamie Cho, that's one that I've actually fiddled with, with the digitized sound effects and stuff. It also uses the Dynasprite library, which is uh, object-oriented and also has support for horizontal scrolling, hardware scrolling and stuff too. Um, you can do some pretty cool stuff with this thing. So any of you people that, you know, your excuse for not writing a decent arcade game is that you don't want to bother learning a similar language, but you know C, I would check this out. And well, all the as a side note, all of the network stuff that uh, uh, Strickland wrote for the Coco.io is written in CMOC. The, the whole DHCP um, BSD network stack, he did all of that in CMOC. So, yeah, it's, it's hot. And the cool thing is because CMOC is on, can write both OS9 and disk basic binaries. If you want to write something that's going to work on both operating systems, not a lot of changes needed. Whereas if you're going from disk basic to basic 9 or something like that, tons of changes are needed. They're not huge once you get used to them, but you're not going to just pop in the code, load it, and run. So if you're a C programmer, I would highly recommend checking this out. Though I will mention again, as, as he does himself, it's not pure C. There are some differences that are documented, and it's actually knocked down, so some of them are no longer as different. But it, it, it's not completely C. There's a few little a bits missing or a few little things a little bit different. Next up, Henry Reitfeld using the MIDI Coco MIDI Maestro. So this is the MIDI card that is duplicating the original hardware MIDI card. And Brian Schubring, if you're still on the call, I'm trying to remember the name of the original MIDI card. Because the MIDI Maestro is the retro innovations Jim Brain, uh, basically a duplication of the original card that was sold in the 80s and 90s. Coco MIDI, Coco MIDI Pro? Yeah, yeah, I think that's it. Yeah, MIDI Pro, I think. So he's using Lyra, Lyra, depending on how you want to pronounce it. I'm not even sure what the correct one is, which was a Coco uh, 1 and 2 program, mouse-driven. The first music program we had for multi-voice was mouse-driven. And it allows up to eight voices at once on MIDI. And um, the audio is not great here. I'm not sure how well you'll be able to hear it. He kind of wanders around to show the setup. Um, and that does he detail. Yeah, he's playing it through a Casio MIDI keyboard. So it's 45 seconds. I'll just let the whole thing play so you can kind of see what, what, what it looks like and how it sounds.
know, he picked a you know fairly simple piano piece here, probably because that's one of the standard ones that all synths support properly. You always have these problems where you know a different drum sound might be a different patch on a different synth. Um, but you know, for a Coco one and two, this Lyra Lyra was you know probably the best known out of all of them. There was some other stuff that came out. Coco three had, excuse me. <clears throat> The Coco 3 had a whole bunch of other MIDI stuff added on. We've actually had Darren Audrey demonstrating some on here, Coco MIDI Pro, um, Altamuse, which, of course, um, Brian Schubring always has running in the background on his, which is a 16-voice one. But this was nice because on a Coco 1 or 2, you could do 8-voice, including percussion instruments and all kinds of things, MIDI effects. Um, you could even play 4-voice right through the DAC speakers on the Coco if you wanted to like kind of preview it or make a song that's a little bit simpler. But all you needed was a joystick or a mouse and, uh, you know, some sheet music or know how to read and write music and uh, plug this into your synth and voila, you could do eight voice stuff. And it was pretty, pretty cool for a Coco one and two. We were pretty early in on the MIDI stuff. I mean, this stuff was coming out before the Atari ST, which became very famous for doing this. And I have seen bands, not just in Revenge of the Nerds of the movie, but I have seen bands that actually did bring Cocos to concerts and did play their stuff on MIDI from a Coco. Later on, the Atari ST probably took that over, but it was pretty amazing to see that we were, you know, one of the main ones being used for concerts in the like mid '80s, I guess it would be, before the ST really took off. So thanks, Henry, for making that video. And for those uh, who want to get into MIDI or already have a MIDI synth and want to be able to program it, there's a lot of software that you can get to to work with MIDI files on the Coco. And the MIDI Maestro from Jim Brain Retro Innovations is actually on sale. So you can just go grab the card, plug it in, and then you get MIDI in, MIDI out, MIDI through. 16 voice uh, simultaneous if you have Coco 3 stuff, or at least eight voices with Lira Lyra on the Coco 1 and 2. So a lot of stuff you can do with that. Now, Tears 80 Retro Programming um, has posted a bunch of videos, and he's been kind of... We've talked about him before. He's kind of like learning as he goes type thing. So sometimes, it, it, you know, an episode goes really long, doesn't really accomplish much because he's trying to figure out what's going on. Other times he's just on a roll. I won't go through too many of these in detail except for the last one. So one thing, uh, he was taking some questions in the comments um, or some comments uh, answering his questions, I should say, including some from me here on, on using P-Copy and stuff. So this one, he, he said he found a P-Copy limitation where certain P-Copies from certain pages to other pages would not work. And that's not what I've experienced. I've used P-Copy quite a bit. And I think he was just using it wrong. So he just kind of explained what issues he was hitting. And then uh, we kind of did comments and got him kind of up and running again. Um, so then he did an update on the Ghost Saga game, uh, where he's got three levels designed now. And he uses P-Copy to draw the background. And then he draws his get put buffers, quote unquote, sprite over top of it. Now, he's not masking backgrounds or anything at this point. That does slow it down a bit. But it, it looks smoother because you don't get that, you know, watching it draw and ripple off and watching it redraw the background rippling through. It actually does it fairly cleanly. But I'll show you that in a little bit of a later demo. But uh, he did his first update here. He's going through that. Here's kind of what he did. A kind of a, it, it wasn't live stream, but he just live recorded something. He was going to just do. He said, I'll show you some uh, quick math stuff here. <clears throat> I'll, I'll do a base 10 to base 5 converter program. And as he got further into it, he discovered that it was a bit harder than he originally thought. So he didn't actually complete that. <laughs> so he's going to have to do a part two. But like, you, if you guys have worked with changing bases before, like binary is base two, um, octal is base eight, hexadecimal is base 16. <clears throat> you have to know how to do the carries and like, how to convert the numbers down and up if you've got a limited range, like a decimal to uh, base five, which is what he's doing here. If you have a six in decimal, 
Well, that's going to take two characters, two digits now on a base five. So you have to be able to like, you know, subtract the amount needed to get down to the least significant digit. And then you have to do the carryover of the other one, et cetera, et cetera. So it's was, it was kind of fun and funny in some ways for me watching because I, I could see exactly where he was going to about to go wrong. And I've done the same thing. So don't feel bad. But uh, yeah, it's uh, like I said, my, my fascination with his channels is he's literally learning it. You're just hearing off the cuff, off the fly, what he's thinking out loud. It's like if you could read Alan's blog while he's writing it. I'm sure that's how that works too, because he kind of writes a similar way. So there'll be a part two as he as he figures it out. So what I wanted to show here, and I'll just play this one because this is a shorter video. This has no commentary from him. So this was just him kind of showing the difference. He went back uh, after he did these peacocky things to do his Ghost Saga, which is the second game he's working on. So he's got another one called Tales of Suburbia, which is kind of a graphical adventure game type thing that's going to be running off tape. And uh, we've shown that before months ago, and he kind of took a break to do this other thing. And that's where he started learning about peacocky and, and get puts. So he's going to do the get put originals here. And I'll fast forward a bit so you can kind of see just a bit instead of seeing the whole three minutes. But he'll, he'll show you the di speed difference of going of having to do the little redraw, redraw, redraw. And this is not using get put without the preset option where you can do optimized get puts on byte boundaries, which you could speed this up a fair bit doing that. But he'd already redraw or drawn his sprites and stuff to not be on even byte boundaries. And he didn't want to move them on byte boundaries because it's every four pixels. So he didn't want to do that in this particular case. You could, if you design your game with that in mind, make it faster yet. But I'll play a little bit here. And I'll just skip to the graphics part, basically. And the game works. Basically, it does a quick little text description like this, and it flips to the joystick-controlled graphical part of the game. And he has these little musical bits. But you can see how slow it's drawing here. This is using the P-set option, so it's literally doing the bit shift internally and checking to see if you're switching between modes and all this kind of stuff, so it's it's a bit slow. And it, it doesn't really give you a good experience of being a sprite. <laughs> so I will fast forward now and show you when he uses P-copy to redraw the background underneath, and then he just has to put the sprite over top. I hear it glitched a bit here, so I think he actually ended up uh, rerunning it because he had forgotten to clear a screen ahead of time. Yeah. He's in the midst of converting this into the peacocky method. But a huge improvement. The speed is much better. You don't get that slow drawing ripple effect. I mean, it's still not masking the background, so you're carrying this green box around, but it's still this is this is more of a playable game. So that's just one 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 technique, and uh, you can do bit masking with put. Uh, I know Stevie did one video showing that too. It does slow things down because you have to do multiple logic puts to do the keep preserve the background. You have to get it first; you can restore it later. Page flipping makes it smoother, etc. So it, it's really fun in watching him going through these journeys of discovery here. And he's been asking for some suggestions on the site of what other topics you should try covering. Because once he gets these two games done, he doesn't really know what he wants to do next. Now, I did suggest Coco 3 because I think he'd really like that. But uh, he said, I never had a Coco 3 when I'm growing up, so I don't want to, you know, deal with the stuff he never used when he was young. Okay. <laughs> not, 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 not something I would have uh, said myself, but uh, 
there's still more he can do on the Coke one too. Hey, now we start the special Alan Huffman Subitha software sponsored section of the show because he did a ton of stuff in the last two weeks. And uh, I guess I'll just go through them in the order I recorded them here. I'm not even sure if this is the order he put them out. So the first one here is talking about the files command and how it reserves memory for file buffers in disk extended basic. Um, so basically, the files command has two options. How many buffers you want to reserve and what the size of the buffers will be. The default when you turn the machine on with this basic, I believe, is two buffers of 256 bytes per buffer, which is basically two sectors. If you're not going to be doing a lot of disk buffer access, you can actually regain some memory. Like we all know, you know, pclear1 will give you back some of the graphics memory. There's some pokes you can get an equivalent of pclear0. Well, if you're not going to be opening disk files and running them during your program, you can actually do a files command to reduce the amount of memory from that too and get yourself some more memory back for those who don't know that little trick. Uh, but he basically he goes in here and he's not too impressed with the manual. It's trying to explain exactly how it works. So he kind of goes through exactly what it's doing. William Astell, who's, of course, the Lost Wizard, creator of LW Asm, et cetera, LW Tools, uh, gave him some help on this too. And he kind of goes through the technical details and how to work it. And then he you know, does some examples and figures out you know, how much memory I get back. Like here, you can see it in a file zero, shut off all file buffers. And it went from 22,823 free bytes to 23,335 bytes. So we basically got half a K back. So if you're doing a text adventure game that's running completely from RAM and you need that extra bit of room, there you go. So it's a pretty long article here and he's figuring out, you know, some of the rounding it does and all kinds of things. So what, one of his typical deep dives into a subject um, that most of us probably haven't even really thought about. So anyway, if you want to learn about more about file buffer uh, reserving within ba this basic, this is uh, definitely a, one you want to check out. Next up, he has a 6847T1 test program for late model Cocoa 2s. Now, of course, the T1 is the enhanced VDG chip that adds in not only the lowercase characters, but also adds in some extra bit settings on FF22. So instead of just having you, you want the green color set or you want the orange color set for your text characters, you can also fill the border, turn on inverse video, turn lowercase up, on, off. Um, and basically, he goes through here on and mentions, like you can see in the source code listing here for those on audio, he's describing what each bit does on FF22, um, which is 65314 in decimal. Um, basically, explain which one, which bits do what. And then some demo programs here where he's actually he's using powers of, which is going to be dog slow, but this doesn't really care about speed. So, but I can basically give you examples. You can type these in. So, if you have a T1 base Coco 2B, and that'll be the one with the Tandy uh, sticker, not the Radio Shack one. Full-size, full-travel keyboard. Not all of those did have the new T1. Quite a few did, but good chance if you have that particular model, you'll have it. These also all work in the Coco 3. The Gimme chip actually simulates the VDG T1, not the original VDG. And for those who were thinking, well, maybe I can get one of those new VDG chips and swap it in the Coco. Nope, they changed the pinouts, so that doesn't work. And I'm sure Rick or some of the other hardware guys can explain. I don't know if it's worth making an adapter to rewire the pins or something. I don't know how easy it's to get T1 chips anyway, to be honest. Right. It could be done, but where are you going to find the chip to put in your adapter? So. Yeah. So it's a, it's a big deep dive into, the, into that going with a sample program you could try. Next up. High-resolution spiraling extended basic. So when I first saw this, I was going, that's just a circle command. 
But then I notice it's con- continuous uh, curve circle. It's not circle, 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 circle. It's one that keeps branching out wider and wider, kind of like a record player. Uh, you know, for you young kids, that's that black disc that used to have music on it. <laughs> it was like one long groove that went all the way around and would gradually drag the needle up into the middle. So and he was trying to vinyl. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, he figured out uh, how to do this. And he said he had figured out when he was younger too, doing the concentric spiral, as opposed to just, you know, repeated circles of different sizes. And he gives a sample basic program to do that. That's basically using the arc function. So you're just drawing arcs and gradually increasing the radius as you go. That's a cool effect. The paint command would be fun to watch going in that one too. Speaking of XROR, Sixy, of course, is in the chat, the author of XROR. So one thing Alan wanted to do is to have a bit more control over the booting of the XROR emulator as to what settings your virtual machine is going to have. And this is something I wouldn't mind trying once in a while, because I'm, especially when I'm doing some of these really old games for the game's webpage, I would like to see a 4K game running on a 4K Coco to see if it ran any differently than when you're running it on, a, say, a Coco 3. So as you mentioned here, this information requires XOR 1.3.1 or later, as earlier versions had issues remapping the control key on Max. So in this case here, what he's doing is he's getting into the config part that actually controls the special keys in the keyboard and how they get mapped. Because um, XR, I think by default, and then MAME does this too, tries to map the Coco keyboard on top of whatever keyboard you're using. So like Shift 2 is a quote, which almost no modern keyboard does. And uh, depending on what you're doing, like if you're playing a game, I would probably use the Coco 1 and 2 keyboard layouts because you know if, if it's meant to be a two-handed game, you know with the left and right arrow keys and the right and the up and down arrow keys and the left, you may want them separated like that because trying to do it all crammed together, it just doesn't play as well or as easily. But on other things too, like, you know, shift two or the F1 and F2 keys here, left control, left option, like he's mentioning here, I prefer to have the more modern methods map correctly. So an F1 key is an F1, that a left control is a left control. Um, so he goes there with some help from Kieran on how to actually modify the text-based file that all this stuff is set up. You can also control like default memory sizes uh, for Coco's like if you want to test something to make sure it runs at 16K. Because most of the time when people default these, it's 64K and a Coco 1 and 2, and it's at least 5, 12K, if not 2 meg or 8 meg on a Coco 3, because everybody likes their virtual machines maxed out. But if you're trying to test software and you want to make sure it runs on some of the original hardware machines that have less resources, it's would be nice to be able to test that in the emulators as well. So he goes through here and basically explains how to do the whole remapping of the keyboard using Unicode's, the scan key codes and stuff like that to so you can tweak it to exactly your heart's content. And I know MAME has something like this. I can't remember. Do you guys are use VCC a lot? Does it have this kind of keyboard mapping? I know it's got some keyboard selections like natural, OS9, just basic. But can you actually go? Is there a, a text file somewhere you can actually modify every single key to your liking? Nick, have you ever tried that? No, I think VCC does. I haven't tried the others. Okay. Anyway, he goes through a real deep dive. So if you are using XROR, and I know more and more people have been using it because it's been getting updated the most in recent times, you can definitely go through and set all kinds of things here. Like here, he's got a default for his Coco 3 RGB. It defaults to Coco 3, RGB mode enabled by default, not composite like the ROMs normally do. Um, that he redefines his left control, left option, and his you know, F1 and F2 keys, for example. 
here's still having a bit of a bug where the border code is wrong, which VCC had the same problem <laughs> for quite a while. And then here he actually put up on the Terracetti Cocoa Wiki, which I believe, I think he created that in the first place, didn't he? Wasn't he the creator of the Cocoa Wiki? Can't remember anymore. That's quite a few years ago. Yes, Cocopedia is his site. Okay. So here he goes through the configuration. Oh, Al, not Deck B Al. Oh, yeah. No, he was a hardcore OS Niner with Sub Ethan. Yep. Nice to see him at the festival all the time. I had to convince him to use Nitrous Nine over Power Boost, actually. Right. <laughs> Took about a year. <laughs> I, I think I might have had to do that with you too, Rick, didn't I? Yeah, I was still very conservative because I actually ran my business on my Cocoa. So I didn't use anything that was changed more than, you know. So, yeah, Power Boost, okay. I trusted it after six months, but that Nitrous guys, they were always. Blind. Yeah, we were just brand new green <laughs> behind the ears, or sorry, wet behind the ears. Thank you. We, we, we had to prove our reputation first. It took about a year or two. <laughs> Because Chris Burke was well established from his, you know, hard drive drivers and stuff. So anyway, what he does here is he, on the on the wiki, he's actually put in a complete explanation of everything you can set in a, a XOR configuration file with a bunch of examples that he's put in himself. Like, do you want to work with a network printer, and do you want to like say run the Dragon Pippin prototype, or you know, a sixteen K Cocoa, or a sixteen K Cocoa two, or you want to extend it basic on or off, you know, so you can do all these tests and set all these configurations. And it actually adds to the drop down menu when you're selecting your machine from the standard ones that are there by default. You can add in all kinds of whatever you need to test, which is actually kind of handy, I have to say. And then the last one for him this week on his blog is about the deload command. So deload does not work on the Cocoa 3 because uh, basically that code is now basically does the equivalent of a reset button, which you can use as a trick to reset a Cocoa 3 cold start or a warm start just by doing the poke 113 that you're seeing on the screen here um, and then just doing deload and that on a Cocoa 3 will reset the machine to a cold start or a warm start. Uh, but basically kind of goes through and explains exactly what got changed and how you can use it to your advantage. Um, I use that poke 113 exec 40999 quite a bit, even my Google one two days just to force a reset. Cause if I did some assembly language routine or some basic program that, you know, mucked with all kinds of buffers and arrays and string space and stuff, and instead of having to figure out how to get everything back to normal, I'll just do this and gold start it, <laughs> but without having to actually shut the machine right off. And of course we didn't have control alt reset on Google one and two, which you can cheat cause that does the gold reset too. So this was the easiest way to do it without actually powering the machine down and back on again. But again, it goes in a deep dive, explains the difference between a warm start and a cold start, um, how it works in the Cocoa 3 with the deload command, because the deload basically just remaps and does the cold start. The deload command is no longer deloads, which is unfortunate because it would be kind of handy for stuff like drive wire and things. And then this is one that Alan mentioned on Facebook, not on his own blog, but he went through some of his old disks. And this is a project I have to get back to at some point myself. But he found a bunch of buffer saves from when he was logging into the Hayes BBS. Now, I think we mentioned before that he'd found some disks with it, but apparently he's got a ton of them. Um, I think the first part we talked about is when he posted the file list. So the Hayes BBS had a whole download section for the Cocoa. 
and had a ton of stuff, including some stuff that is not on the archive. It's not on the FTP site for um, it's a name that RTSI. So there's some software that's gone missing, and he's got a list of some of that stuff. He's going to be going through it and then trying to figure out what we don't have right now. And if people can then dig through their disks and see if they can find it, we can try to restore some lost library. But this case here, the post he did this last two weeks is actually, there was kind of like messaging areas of uh, different topics, including the Cocoa. And this is where you can see people writing just, you know, messages back and forth, like emails today or forms. So there's a lot of stuff on there that he wants to try to extract out and then put up as an upload later on that people can go through. So some of this knowledge isn't lost because you'll be getting answers from, you know, people that are very knowledgeable in the Cocoa. Um, the one on the screen here, I don't know how easy it is for you guys to read, but Alan was actually asking for some help and he got an answer from Bob Bilson. Now, Bob Bilson is uh, one of the guys, I think Rick Adams was the other one, who converted UECP from Unix to the Cocoa 3. Um, so you could do Unix to Unix copy, mail, all kinds of stuff. So uh, he definitely knew what he was talking about in a lot of this stuff. So there's a lot of knowledge in there. And you can see on the left, there's uh, various messages and you know, message trees and things like that you can go through. And so once he gets all this stuff up there, we've already got some archives now of some CompuServe stuff, some Delphi stuff. There's a little bit of FidoNet stuff. That's a lot of that, unfortunately, has been lost. But we've got, you know, multiple years of, of some of these. And now the Hayes BBS, which I had, had a fairly active Cocoa section by the sounds of it. I never went on it myself. I don't know if anybody else in the panel did. But uh, Alan's planning on getting all that stuff up so that people can actually kind of explore through those archives as well, which is really cool. I will be going through them once he gets them up for sure. Next up, speaking of transcodes, Glenn Hewlett put up a blog post covering some of the differences, and I've experienced some of these personally from doing the Petsky Robots conversion that's not finished yet, of uh, going from a 6502 to 6809. And most of it is like the fact that all the registers are only 8 bits, and you know, if, if you're dealing with a memory offset that's 16-bit, it's, it's little endian, not big endian, so you have to flip the bytes around. The one that really ticked me and, and Jay off, I think, because it screwed us up a fair bit, is that their carry bit is backwards <laughs> from from us or just about anybody else. So if you're expecting a branch of carry clear, uh, if you're directly translating a branch of carry clear from the six or six five two to six eight nine, you better change it to the BCS because that's what it's actually going to act like, <laughs> and that is mind-bogglingly dumb. Uh, so he goes through it and he goes through some other things that he's discovered, you know, as he's been doing, which kind of hints he's he's converting something or transcoding something from 6502. I don't know what. Is it an arcade game of 6502? Is it a 6502 game from some other platform, computer platform, video game system? I don't know, but I'm intrigued. But any of you that have actually need to do this, and I think um, Walter Zambotti right now is going through this himself because he's doing some custom Nitrous 9 drivers for some screen modes that we don't normally support Nitrous 9. But he's converting... Uh, the game Elite from the BBC Micro. Oh, yeah. Spectrum and BBC, Yeah, it's a 3D yeah. game. Yeah, and he's, he's actually doing the BBC Micro original because it has the uh, fully commented source code available. Right. Ah. Now, you guys are obviously more familiar with Elite than I am. I've seen pictures of it. Looks impressive. What is it's the game? Amazing. So it's In a space, space flight game. simulation. Yeah. Um, you have eight galaxies of 256 star systems that you can trade and fight across on your way to go from a harmless novice to 
the ranking of elite, one of the most dangerous folks around in the galaxy, able to shoot down galactic cops and everything else in a single bound. Um, the game is famous for recreating the docking scene from 2001 A Space Odyssey. So when you want to dock at a space station to trade, initially you have to match the space station's rotation. And that, until you learn to do it right, basically means that you launch, you turn around, you crash. You start a new game. You launch, you turn around, you crash. You start a new game. This sounds frustrating as hell. It, it, it It's one of the, that's just the rite of passage. You learn to dock with the dang <laughs> space station. And each, uh, what really made Elite stand out at the time is that it encodes this whole galaxy universe setup using a very tiny procedural generation system known as Goat Soup. And what Goat Soup does is it generates the market for what products are available, and it generates the information about the planet. So you get these really odd descriptions of who's there and who you're trading with and things like that that, st- that are persistent without having to store thousands and thousands and thousands of pages of, of data. So you had a huge environment to explore that fit in the 64K machine. So it sounds like a, a bit like Dungeons and Dagger, because that was procedure generated to do the maps and everything else too. And that whole thing fit in 8K, including all the digitized sound samples. Yeah, Elite is amazing. And uh, it, it is one of the killer games of the era. And there, it got ported to dang near everything except the Coco. But and the Dragon the too, because it was a European game, wasn't it? Yeah, yes. but the ports aren't the same. Each port adds something different. So depending on which retro machine you came up with, your version and Memories of Elite may be a little bit different. So on uh, the Commodore 64 version, for example, you can get this cargo of these little living guys like Tribbles that take over your ship and take over your screen. And you have to like go fly really close to the sun to burn them away. Get you know, just to get rid of the little guys, and that, that they only exist on that one version. So there's um, there are recreations now that that do the original justice. One is called Elite, object oriented elite, that are still based on that same goat soup generator universe. That you can learn. You'll always start at the star system lathe, and you know don't go, jump to this system because it's full of pirates and they always blow you up. And those kinds of things, but it just runs on a more modern machine now. It's okay. been fully de- documented, and a lot of people are now looking back at BBC Elite uh, because the Elite Dangerous huge giant game directly descends from it. Yeah, I was just going to mention, like, we've got a lot of comments in the chatter. So, obviously, some people who have experienced this game, like you have, Alan. Uh, Buck Owen says, You survived long enough to buy the docking computer. Heck Six- yeah. 60 says, yeah, you learn, and I can reliably dock to this day even on the BBC Micro. Exactly. Once you know how your joystick responds, you can figure out just that right little tap to, to stay lined up, and you just zoom right in. But it is a skill that you must develop by hand, and you will splatter all over a Coriolis station over and over again until you do it. And they did not take that out of the modern versions, thankfully. Yeah, Rob Inman says the BBC micro version of Elite has been undergoing optimizations as well to reduce flicker in the graphics routines on that platform. 
Yes. And then Buck adds, this guy pointing to himself played on a played this on a C64 for many, many hours. So he's familiar with Trumbleys. And Lens Lock was horrible and we hated it. Yes, Buck. Tom Eric Gunnison says, uh, I play, used to play Elite on my Amstrad. So the CPC. Eight bits in the basement says Elite was written on the Acorn Electron. Yep. The programmers opened the system and put a note inside it saying, This is the unit that we use to write Elite or something to that effect. It's on the Amiga. And uh, one of the two original programmers, um, he maintains his own website with some of the original stuff on it, including a release of Text Elite, where you can basically trade using the Elite algorithm. Uh, just plain in text mode, which I ported to a BBS at one point, but uh, it's out there as well. And you get to see the implementation of all the string mixing that generates all the worlds and stuff like that and, and figure out how it all exactly works. Uh, it, it's It's been a fairly well-studied game, and, and it's very nice to hear that somebody has taken up the torch of bringing it to the Coco, which is mysteriously absent. Because almost everything else that was ported to is 6502. Yeah. Yeah, still some more comments. I'm not going to read them all out here because I want to get on the next story. But yeah, it sounds oh, like yeah. it's really... Arkley, no kidding. And they're all emulatable. They're all collectible. You can. There are so many versions of it where you know the game, but you get different. you get a different experience from playing it on the different retro platform. And you have different features that you can uncover and enjoy, different missions that are available. Because it does have a few missions that randomly pop up at you as you're trading along. You'll get an offer to go do on these custom jobs for the Galactic Cops or whatever. And uh, there's Aliens at War. There's a story that uncovers over the over time just in the descriptions of things that you kind of very lightly interact with. And it's all packed together in such a tiny game. You know, you had this whole universe you could fly around in and how it all was designed and work is up on Ian Bell's website. You can see some of the original sketches and some of them working out the 3D math and how it would work on these uh, original CPUs. Okay. He used all the tricks in the book plus some. And on the BBC, it's written partly in basic and partly on assembly. Because the BBC's uh, basic would let you link and write directly to assembly. So it was a hybrid game right out of the box, which is part of what made it run so well and part of why it became, I think, so popular. Oh, okay. tube version, no doubt. Have you played it? I love it. Buck Owens is talking about a specific variant that used a coprocessor. That was the, the BBC tube was a bus that would connect a second processor up. And there is a version of Elite that uses it. And it was, uh, I think it was coded and shared as part of some sort of very private uh, special release that, of course, has become archived since. I don't know anything about it. I just remember seeing ads for it once in a while and never played it. Uh, You need to play it. It's awesome. Of course, then you'll be disappeared for a while. I don't know. That that, that uh, docking thing sounds so frustrating. I'd probably just quit after that happened. Yeah. <laughs> Until you get it. And then after that, you never worry about it again. I mean, I've seen reviews say Project Nebula is hard to dog a spaceship, and that's dog easy. Anyway, back to Glenn's original post. <laughs> <laughs> 
So basically, he goes through and he, he goes through some of these tips and tricks too. Like if you're converting certain instructions that don't exist on uh, six eight zero nine compared to six five zero two, or have to be done differently, he actually gives you sample code of a six five zero two routine or command, and then he shows you how to do the equivalent on the Coco, and then he gives some psycho counsel, like you know you try to optimize them as much as you can type thing. So if anybody's looking at doing a 6502 transcode of some sort, whether it's like an Apple II or a PET or a VIC-20 or a C64 or, you know, any of the Apple II series, 2E, 2GS, whatever type thing, this this might be a good blog post to go through to kind of get you a little bit ahead of the games to try to figure out this stuff on your own. And then getting burnt when you have a BCC instead of a BCS because it doesn't work right on the 6502. And, and for those listening, of course, you can always go to the Coco Discord, and we have a special channel that has all the notes from all of our news stories for every show, and you can download that. It's a little text file. has all the links right in there, so you guys can go and check them all out and read them in full detail. All right, next up, Carl England, uh, one of Alan Huffman's favorite people, because he wrote a whole bunch of stuff to you know copy, copy-protected discs, etc., but he's got an update that he posted about on Facebook here of a new utility done to copy copy-protected floppies to a Coco STC card. Um, with some help from the Coco STC's creator, Darren Atkinson. So Darren actually got involved with this to help him get around some of the issues he was having where he couldn't get certain odd sectors that are not you know normal uh, as part of copy protection to work. And then he actually tested it and he got all these games here. Now, I haven't had a chance because I've been busy with work here. Uh, I think some of these games, the copies that are on the archive right now, do not fully function properly. Um, so if he's got these actually properly working, I think he should re-upload a few of these. And I think Those Darn Marbles is one, if I remember. If I remember, it plays correctly, but the sound is all screwed up. It's almost like it uh, did signed sound versus unsigned sound. From, uh, you know, effect of trying to play an Amiga file Mac style or vice versa. So if he can get clean copies of some of these, I'd love to see these uploaded to the archive. I just think it's cool to see all the copy, the schemes they used. Yeah, he actually lists, by game, you know, Barbarian Quest had an illegal sector number and CRC errors on purpose. And Caledro 2 had illegal sector size. And Caledro 2 had illegal sector number and size. Yeah, one of the ones um, that uh, I was talking with him about was one that had the um, sector number 247, which you cannot actually... Uh, yeah, because it's a CRC return by the controller, right? Yep. And <laughs> but, but there's a way that you can get the controller to write it out. But I decided, well, let's test MAME to see if it properly supports it. So I tried to create, with an MFM disk image, tried to test that routine to create the physical media, which of course is in emulation, and it failed in MAME. So MAME still isn't fully replicating what the Western digital chip can do. Yeah, like look at some of these other ones, like a Z89, illegal side, sector number, and size, and misplaced track. Uh, misplaced track, I'm assuming you have like the fifth track, and the disks is labeled as track 19 or something. So you might have to use a, a track seek in one by one versus trying to jump to the one that the controller is going to read because it's going to go to the completely wrong spot. Um, raw data, I'm assuming that means there's no CRCs, there's no nothing. Does that mean that that's just like they just dumped raw data right to the sector? You know, David? Um, no, uh, but there are tricks that you could write the track out and then redo it, read track. 
instead of reading a sector, you read a track to get the all yeah, the raw right. data. Because then you get everything, the series, the padding bytes, all that stuff's in there. So um, now, of course, that's fast, because if you think about it, if you do a track read, you're not trying to, you know, do any interleaves. You can just read. Yeah, you the just read the whole thing in one revolution of the disk. Now, but then you have to do the decoding where the data is at. It seems to be fairly popular though, because it's mentioned for Sam Sleuth, The Legend of Zelda, Sinistar, Nuclear Love Boat, Photon. So that's cool. Thank you very much, uh, Carl Lingen, for doing that. And uh, like I said, I'm going to have to go through some of the stuff in the archive and download because I've got some older copies I haven't re-downloaded. That that might have been the problem. But I'm pretty sure there's still some on there, including some of the ones in his list here of the ones he's actually successfully copied that are not proper on the archive and don't play fully properly. So if, I would love to see those replaced working copies. Huh, next up. Now, this is... <clears throat> part of a whole wackle there's some new stuff on youtube there's a dragon one we mentioned earlier it's doing all these 30 to 40 second clips of various dragon games but there's been quite a few others that have been covering mc10 and coco and dragons on on youtube from channels i've never seen before so the resurgent continues uh, our machines are getting more and more popular that doesn't bode well for ebay prices but uh, okay so the first one here this terry's workbench now terry terry trap who runs terry's workbench channel actually we shown him on the show before though he hasn't done anything in probably a year or two i think but he returns with a coco video showing a broken coco one that he acquired at goodwill which isn't really that broken <laughs> and i think this is mostly due to uh you know people don't want to hook up old style stuff to modern tvs hey guys uh so uh we've got a very special episode of uh terry's where do we fix it out uh, here today um I never find these Goodwill finds. I don't know how you guys do it. So right off the bat, by the positioning of the label, the Radio Shack label, you can see this is an older Coco one. Uh, cosmetic. Plus it has the black surround on the keyboard instead of yeah. silver. Got the badge too, RAM badge. So yeah, it looks like it uh, still has the thing plugged into the cassette port. And... Uh, Interesting. Plugged it into power, and uh, nothing is. Um, now the picture quality is crap. Oh, so he's got a bad connection on the RF can. Have to fix it inside the computer here, which he does fix by the end of the video. But basically, it powers up, fires up, basics running. <laughs> you can type. And this was like a goodwill yeah, thing for like four bucks, <laughs> something like that. So. And you got a wicked deal on getting like an original Coco One, like the older Dean Eboard era. That's the machine I had. My first 4K Coco was one of these. Some people have all the luck. Yep, and I'm not one of them. Bit more retro here. Okay. So John Zizolfo, and I think I didn't know how to pronounce his name last time. <clears throat> so he's the one who did the uh, flippy diskette template, so you could actually punch out the. Uh, index hole and the right protect tabs in the exact right spot. And you could print these out scaled properly and you could actually line up a disc. So he's decided to do some other templates here. And what he's doing here is floppy disk labels. So if you want to label some floppies and you can buy these generic, you know, sticky glue backed 
labels and then you can just you know insert them into your printer print these out and then just you know cut them and, and put them onto your discs because i know a lot of my old floppy labels the glue's completely dried out now and they just fall off and then i have no idea what's on a disc which is why i haven't done my archiving stuff because there's 600 unlabeled discs now <laughs> 600 disc labels in the bottom of your box yep that's well actually i've lost some of them completely at this point but yeah <laughs> and he actually gives you the avery stock numbers for the actual uh, label stock you can get to do these with and then he's got three different sizes of labels you got the ones that cover the entire width of the disc the ones that cover the upper left little bit there and you know how far down they go etc so you got a couple of designs to choose from but that's really cool because I, I at some point when i got lots of free time ah, i'll have to go through and actually do this i think because i need to relabel a bunch of my discs right now if i'm trying to find some obscure program that i know darn well i have it can take hours going through discs trying to find the damn thing That's available on Facebook and the Cocoa Group if you want to download the uh, templates. Ron Klein has been busy doing some updates on the Cocoa Pie. And it's mainly update packages for some of the stuff that's within the Cocoa Pie. And he's got two that came out these last two weeks. First one listed here is new XWAR 1.3.1. Um, so that's got some further gimme VSC tweaks. Uh, allows preemption of the control key for the Cocoa 3. Fix GTK plus zoom in out. I'm not sure what that is. Is that a graphics library or something? Uh, work around build issues in Apple Silicon. So that's the new M1, M2 chips. Um, also resolves a local build issue with Windows packages end up without audio file support, which would be kind of sucky. Um, and it gives you an explanation of how to do the actual update from within the Coke Pie itself. And then shortly after that, uh, he's also updating to the new MAME.252. Uh, not a lot of Cocoa-related uh, changes here, um, but there's a couple things worth mentioning which he does mention on the page, and I'll just read them out for you. Nathan Woods is actually one of the original creators of MAME and did the 609 Cocoa stuff way back when it first got introduced in MAME and in MESS previously that. Um, fixed file name validation on targets with signed character type. And then Tim Lindner, of course, he's been on the show numerous times and is you know, one half of the Tim and AJ sibling rivalry show, uh, did some 609 changes. He uh, fixed the store bit instruction because apparently it wasn't quite working properly. And I know I've seen some updates... Um, but Tim's done some other things since then, too, to MAME, to fix some bugs and stuff, too. So expect more changes coming on the next release. This one here is a bit of a congratulation note. Um, this is a list of podcasts with, you know, searching for the word Cocoa, and it's called Listen Notes. And it kind of gives rankings. Now, it doesn't give specific rankings. It just says if your podcast is in the top 10% of that category type thing. Um but both the Cocoa Crew podcast, and we're mentioned on there, but we're more of a live show, so we don't get as many downloads because most people just watch us actually live like right now. But the Cocoa Show also made the top 10%. So both shows are in the top 10% for however they do their awesome. categories. What was that? Awesome. Congrats. Yeah. So, I mean, uh, another proof, I guess, that the Cocoa is doing quite well because uh, all three podcasts mm -hmm. are listed here. And two of them made the top 10%. And uh we're here to pick up the uh, the, the the slack, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's just because these other shows are so much shorter that they're still listening to the first episode we put up as the Cocoa Nation, and they haven't had the full six hours to listen to the whole thing yet. That's my right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And to be honest, I mean, unlike the other two shows, which are primarily viewed as an after-the-fact download or you know streaming off of something afterwards post recording 
we're much more of a live interactive show. If, if you're looking at our live chat right now, you can obviously see because it's been scrolling by at light speed. Anyway, congratulations to both the Coca Show and and I, I guess uh, ourselves too, even though we didn't make the top top ten or ten percent here, and also the Coca Crew. So uh, I think John Linville pointed out the Coca Crew, and then when I took a look at the list of you know, lo and behold, the Coca Show is also in the top ten. So that's really cool. Coco rules. Yep, that's basically what we're trying to say. Now it's proven by numbers. Wait, so. another one I've not seen before. Yark, yet another retro channel. This is a recent <laughs> one. And this is a Coco One recap and composite mod with the Universal Video Driver. So for those of you who don't know what the Universal Video Driver is, this was a uh, mod to add to a Coco One or Two produced by Mark Data Products as a commercial product. And I think it was about 40 bucks back in the day. And would let you hook up a composite monitor to any of these cocos with better picture quality and you know clearer graphics and less herring bones and RF noise and all kinds of crap. And uh, somebody actually figured out uh, how to recreate that and actually posted the what do you guys call them Gerber files or something? I don't know some hardware yeah. thing. <laughs> yep, <laughs> showing you how to build them. And he actually, he grabbed one of these and actually put it in, and he actually got it working. So this is a kind of a step through of actually building the thing and getting it up and running. And you can see, like, right here at the beginning. I'll just play a little bit of the beginning and near the end, and you can check out the whole process on his video. Hello, YouTube. Welcome back to yet another retro channel. Today on the bench, we have a TRS-80 color computer. This is the one referred to as the Color Computer 1, although at the time of its release, since there weren't a 2 and a 3, it was just called the TRS-80 Color Computer. It was. And this is another older one, just by looking at the circuit board. Uh, no later than eboard, probably a D-board. Anyway, you can see he's got it plugged into RF, and you get the little bit herring bone patterns, not the brightest color, etc. So he goes through and builds the thing. Take some other board out, etc. I'll just keep fast-forwarding. And now this is what he's getting now. So it's much more vibrant. It's clear. Not a lot of the crap. So uh, it worked quite well. Clear green. Healing nuclear green. <laughs> We're green with envy. Now he's actually got like scopes and stuff. And... For There's a pie pico. Uh, a hair burner. Now he's got a retro rewind pack here for doing testing and stuff too, so... That's the diagnostic card. So anyway, for those of you that have Coco 1 or Coco 2 hardware and want to hook it up to a composite monitor rather than getting all these modern things like Coco VGAs and Coco DVs where you're hooking up to VGA and everything else new under the sun, but you want to just get it to work on a composite monitor, maybe you have some other retro machines that all use composite, and you want improved picture quality from the old RF, this is actually a pretty decent and fairly cheap, as long as you got the soldering skills to build it yourself. I don't know if anybody manufactured these well, I guess PCB way and stuff, if you send them the files, they'd probably make it for you. Charge you a lot more, too. So this one's going to be simple enough. You could breadboard it together, I'm sure. But, yeah. Check it yeah. Out. But, yeah, definitely uh, the, just looking at the start of the video with the RF to what he got of the composite, it was a huge improvement. And actually, I, I, RF should be better nowadays than it used to be in the old days because nobody broadcasts on VHF anymore. So it should be. But the TVs are so much worse. <laughs> That's truly the analog can't be done anymore by anything that you can buy. 
unless it's 20 years old. Yeah. So good luck with all of that. Maybe really cool video shows exactly how to build it up and, and put it in test. He's got the oscilloscope to check the signal speeds and whatever else this hardware stuff is. I don't understand. Now, I think I'm trying to remember. I think you guys actually covered Ken's video here on the you have a real Coco 3. Now, what beginner's guide? Did you guys cover that last week? Yes, I think he did. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I won't I won't bother repeating it then. But uh, yeah, that was kind of his project update. Last week, yeah. Okay. Cool. So I mean, if you missed last week, uh, you can get a little bit of preview there, but just go watch the video. Okay, next up, uh, the Coco IDE, um, Sega Coco IDE, as, as Sheldon calls it. We mentioned earlier that you can actually download it. It's got that uh, the source code for Treasure Island Defense. Um, he's got an update to the actual IDE itself this time, and he's actually got a new Sega Genesis demo with source code included called the Chicken Dance, which actually has MIDI stuff in it. So if you want to program a Genesis with some MIDI music and sound, you can do that too. He's got the sample source code, and you can see some screenshots here on the Facebook group, kind of showing uh, it in action and what the animation frames of his little sprite character look like. So it's it's really cool. He's doing this one super ID that's going to cover both machines, both kind of like passion projects for him. Next up, Richard Kelly put Ants on Bridges demo. This is a semi-graphics force, your standard, you know, 32-column text screen with the uh, high-bit set character codes to do colored blocks. And basically, you can see a little screenshot here. It draws these four bridges that overlap each other, and as these ants crawling, and they will go over and under the bridges properly with no flicker and anything else. And it's just pure basic. There's no special things here. So if you want a little bit of some programming technique tricks to be able to do smoother animation with like layers of stuff probably worth looking into his basic source code for this i know alan huffman was quite enchanted with it and downloadable on the uh, facebook coco group next up and this is a series of videos called in its own words which basically means he put some information about any retro computer on the screen that that computer natively would generate so you're reading it mm -hmm. in its own words and you can see here he's got a plethora, plethora of uh, old machines here. He's got like Model 1, Model 2, Model 3, Model 4. And then he's jumping over to Ataris and Sinclairs and TIs and Vix, the Coco, etc. And he actually did one here for the MC-10. Um, actually showing it with an expansion pack too, which is kind of cool. But basically, it's just basically a self-description. I'm going to play it here because there's some music in the background. I'm not sure if it's legally free to play, so I don't want to get in trouble. But it's, it's, it's interesting he's actually to pick the MC-10 as the latest addition to this whole series he's done on all these retro computers, which is dozens and dozens at this point. Next up, we have Vern's Misadventures. Now, this is a sequel to one that we covered a couple of weeks ago uh, where he was trying to get an MC-10 up and running uh, And also, in this case, he's also purchased the MCX 32SD, which is the 32K RAM upgrade with extended basic added into it, plus the SD card reader with virtual disk stuff. Um, so he's going through and getting it set up and learning how to use the SD card. And he shows some examples of that. Um, now, if you want to talk about RF noise, this this has got some. <laughs> I'll just put a little bit of the beating out a little bit of the end here, and you guys can check out the in-between. 
is we need to put some files on it. It didn't come with a, an SD card, so what I did... So here's the SCC. Was I SDC. remembered I had I a 32 gig SD card in my SDC. Samsung S9 that I only use for an overhead camera. So let's turn it on. Power on. Hot diggity, look at that. MCX Basic 3.0. Now, he does mention in the video here, too, the lines you're seeing on the screen here is actually his camera picking most of that up. He said it's nowhere near as bad in person. Anyway, it shows you how to download some stuff, put it on the SDC, and then actually run it. Last attempt to film, film this video, I made an alteration to my auto oh, I made a little file. auto boot program for it, right? too, like and we I can do in the SDC as well. That. So we turn that on. I'll just show the sample program running off of it first. Right on the top row. And uh, press the space to start. So your idea is you want to, you actually, instead of dodging these, you want to catch them. <laughs> that so I mean, he, had, he had a lot of fun getting the STC uh, 32SD working. Or, uh, sorry, MSX 32SD working. And uh, using the auto run feature on it, like a lot of us use on the Coco STC as well, where you, and when you turn the machine on, it basically it auto executes a program. And you actually had one that reports the free memory and stuff like that. So you could tell if you, somebody had a, an MCX128 versus something else. Now, at this point, because that's the only thing that supports SD, that's the only thing that's ever going to show up as far as RAM is the 32K you've got on that. But... Um, yeah, it's pretty interesting. Like, if you've never used the MCX32 SD, thinking of getting one because you have an MC10 and you want a nice rundown on it, this is a good video to watch. John Whitworth of Dragon Plus Electronics mentions that prototype RGB boards are sent off to PCB Assembly Company. So, of course, John was uh, in the hospital for quite a while here getting cancer treatments. He's back home. Seems to be doing well, which is good. And uh, he got behind on a lot of projects, of course, because he couldn't do anything in the hospital. So he's actually getting back into them making things, which is awesome. And uh, these are adapter boards to basically get RGB output from a dragon instead of the composite. So you can hook it up to more modern displays and get a better quality picture. And then Julian Brown was talking about EEPROM converters. And these are, I think we've covered these for the Cocoa before. I haven't seen the Dragon-specific ones before. So this is to adapt 28-pin EEPROMs into 24-pin sockets, I think, is what I remember correctly. Because you can get the 28-pin uh, ones a lot cheaper, and they're much more common than the old 24s, which are turning into unobtainium. A lot or, cheaper, as in, yeah, you can get them. <laughs> yeah, or Expansium, if you want to call it that, too. So that's that's where you can get your extended basic and your color basic ROMs, etc. But this is for the Dragon, so... Cool to have that as well. Now, this one we've kind of shown a bit of it before, <clears throat> but it was kind of done at a crappy camera angle, etc. Um, when they were trying to get the Dragon Beta 128 up and running, because they got one of the prototypes that Dragon had done internally before Dragon went out of business. And this was the uh, OS 9 base system that had, you know, graphics up to 640 by 512, 16 color, you know, all kinds of stuff. It was going to be one wicked machine. It would have probably suppressed the Coca-3 in a lot of ways. And there was a Basic 9 demo. There was a custom version of Basic 9 with some custom graphics drivers that had, like, full angles and 
negative coordinates and all kinds of stuff added into it, which we've seen before. But I'll just play a little bit here because it's a better quality picture. But if you want to see the whole demo, you can uh, just pop in and watch the video. It's about 14 minutes long. Um, okay, here it's just loading it in basically. So it's got 80 columns, first of all, right off the bat. My own thing with it, but here we go. This is running a 640x512 graphics, which is far so higher than the code through, 3. It'll does. be a bit laborious, but I think I'm going to read out the text that's coming up, not things like Dragon 1 to I think we can see that. Obviously, it has palette switching. There's all the colors healthily displayed. But, yeah, that's um, nice. Rather than me whiz through and you have to pause the video, I'll, I'll just briefly read what's coming up on the screen. So the origin is at the bottom left-hand corner of the screen by default. Um, the next demo is going to... So this has a movable origin point. Like here he's got the zero, zero on the lower left. The picture can be translated. Now he shifted the origin. Now it shifts everything else to follow that. Origin. Or rotated. And it's not just like draw command, you know, 90 degree rotations. This is on any angle you want and everything gets rotated by the driver or stretched, like in this case. So this is a pretty powerful graphic system for the time. It's not the fastest thing in the world, but... So remember, this is all in basic 09. And I really do want to have a look at the code to see how this was done. Because it all looks very interesting what's coming out here. Here are examples of scaling, rotation and translation applied together. Nice. More important for you to do, Curtis. <laughs> yeah, if I knew math. <laughs> Actually, Walter's working on that Elite port there might be doing some of this kind of stuff on his driver, so maybe I'll just steal and stuff. Right? Negative scale factors cause reflection about the axes. So reflect about the x-axis. There was a, a typo in a plot on the demo. Or about both axes. What was that? There's a typo in the word applied on that demo. Oh, probably. This was just stuff they were hacking at Dragon oh, while they were building it. it. I think it's, it. it's funny where they have dollar sign something. It's pound sign something on this. Booting <laughs> up. It just, uh, they just literally threw the pound sign like where the dollar sign it. would be for uh, like... Phil has created an interface for one. And rotated. And here's get put buffers as you can scale an angle too. Rotated and put many other times Ooh. on the screen. Using G put, the shape can be plotted on any color background where col is the color in the array which is not plotted. If it's omitted, it defaults to the background color when G get was done. Like so. There's that rather um, garish green again. It's almost like we've got a healing green. I got to teach you, but we haven't. This is running from a six eight four five chip with discrete RGB circuitry. Block if required. And here you can scale text, angle it. Once again, not always the quickest thing in the world. I know it's way slower when you got background colors, but when you do some straight text, it seems to print a bit fair bit faster. This can produce strange results. 
Now, here's your actual OS9 prompt asking for the time side. Areas of the screen can be painted with... So the whole operating system flips. Um, this is much like the paint command on the Dragon and Coco machines. So this is all done down in the driver, Start right? painting, and you tell it the, the... What was that? This is all done down in the driver, right? Yep, correct. Mm -hmm. I, the, the GGFX and all that stuff is just like a GFX2 library of calls calling the driver, I think. The color of the belt. I haven't seen any of this code, so I don't know for sure. So this first one is a standard paint. It's either till it hits any boundary or till it hits green. Depends how it's been coded. This one has doesn't been tell you stop at any different color besides the color you're painting. Or actually any boundary because it didn't go into the blue either. I have to say a 640 by 540 looks pretty good. <laughs> this one has been told to paint until it hits a red boundary. This one has been told to paint until it hits a green boundary. With text and painting, graphs and charts can be drawn. Lovely. I rather like this chart. It reminds me of the really early PC days on things like Harvard graphics and, and the like. Graphical. Real basic pie charts. And here's the grand finale. <laughs> They're just showing a lot of angled text in different colors and stuff here in a circular pattern. Anyway, if that had actually come out in 1984 when they were expecting it, it was going to be fairly expensive. Because if I remember this, this was the one that had dual CPUs too. I think they had an option for like a four port serial so you could hook up four terminals at once and there was all kinds of stuff. It, it was going to be quite the good machine and OSI level two, uh, up to 768K of RAM, MMU, the whole bit, uh, real parallel port built in, real clock built in, sound chip built in. It would have been Nick's favorite computer, I think, except for the OSI part, maybe. But this, this is something I would love to see the code for doing this and see if this could be optimized. Right. And six or ionized. And then a repro board, and then we can all have one of our own. They are working on the repro board now. That's why he's been posting this. That actually is a version of the repro board I think he's running it on. So this is part of the nice. testing. So this is something that uh, you might actually see. Oh, yes. It'll be like the MM1 Junior for Dave. Oh, I'm just concerned about the multiple CPUs. <laughs> <laughs> okay, next up, the Clueless Engineer on YouTube released a three-part video series about the Dragon 32 on YouTube. So this is him receiving one and kind of getting it up and running. Um, they're each about half an hour long, so I'm obviously not going to play them here. Uh, the first one here is kind of going through, you know, what's in it, how the circuit board, the power supplies are set up, gets up and running and kind of shows it off. And part two, it's funny if you play these two, he actually has a date timestamp. So he's doing this like an, on, you know, half an hour every night, three nights in a row on the dragon. It's kind of cool. And he's actually got two dragons he kind of goes through. Um, here he's doing some, you know, fixing some tearing. He was getting on the video. He had to do some tweaks on the one of the two board or one of the two dragons he had. 
And then part three is where he kind of gets everything up and running. He actually has a Coke West DC set in dragon mode to run it, uh, which he does. And then he actually demonstrates some games and stuff running on it. Like there's Chucky Egg. There's the, yeah, the demo of Chucky Egg is required by UK law, isn't it? I think so. <laughs> Karen can, you know, authenticate that or not, but I'm pretty sure that's true. I still cannot get used to seeing Donkey King on PMO3. It looks disgusting. <laughs> no, it does. But something like 3D Lunar Attack, or this isn't Lunar Attack, it's 3D Space Attack, I can't remember the exact, or Side Dab Attack or something. This this does look good. Though you're still seeing a bit of artifacting even on PAL. This actually looks best on an RGB monitor. Honestly, for Lucifer's Kingdom, the game that we're playing again this next week and did play this last week for the game on Challenge, that's one where if you run it in artifacting, you do get some bluer orange backgrounds, but the text is fuzzy, the shapes are fuzzy, there's you know fraying of orange and blue. I prefer playing that game in black and white myself, then it looks pristine. So I'll be playing that RGB monitor. And he plays here with the, one of the most frustrating dragon games I've ever played in my life, Airball. Plays a bit of Frogger. And Cuthbert goes digging, which is space panic, basically. So it's, it's pretty good. It's, a, it's literally an hour and a half of videos to watch of him uh, kind of going through everything in a dragon, fixing a few things in the dragon, getting the Cocoa STC set up for the dragon, downloading some stuff to put on it, and giving it a couple games a good tryout on the, on the last episode of the three. So cool stuff. Yet another dragon video, this time from 8-Bit Shack. And this is a composite video lead build for the Dragon 32. So this is actually now the Dragon. I'm trying to remember. Didn't it have composite already <clears throat> by default? Or am I remembering that I, wrong? I don't think so. I think it was RF only. Oh, it was RF. Okay. Maybe. Oh, I could be wrong. Could be wrong. I'm not sure. Let's see if you describe it here. <clears throat> <clears throat> he shows how to build this composite thing. So maybe you're right. Maybe it was RF on the first, like on UHF band, probably. I thought it was on the first ones. Yeah, I don't know if they... Yeah, the Dragon 64 might have been different. This is a 32, so yeah, you're probably right. Yeah. I think the 64 had composite, maybe that's something I'm getting confused. But <clears throat> there was a ton of Dragon videos out there. Like, there's hours of Dragon stuff to watch. Especially now that that one that's doing all the games here just added another couple dozen this morning. Here's another one. <laughs> so this is actually part of a programming contest from my understanding here. Um, the title of the YouTube channel is called Tubok with the funny looking O with some European character. So I'm probably not saying it right. <clears throat> but this is uh, part of the Love Byte 256 Byte old school intro combo demo. And this plays 16th out of 22. So it's a low res swirling effect that he kind of packed together in assembly. And basically, you got your three colors kind of just swaying back and forth in a circular pattern. It's like a high-speed biorhythm simulator. Yeah. This is, a, this is a programming contest I've never even heard of before. I, don't, I haven't seen what the other machines would do, but uh, cool that he actually you know, placed it and got it done. 
And here's some Commodore stuff. No, I'm just kidding. It happened to be the name of the channel is Captain Commodore. Um, but this is a video to show to build and install a Dragon 32 power supply unit from Dragon Plus Electronics if you buy it in the kit form, which is all John was selling for a while there because he was, of course, you know, busy in the hospital. So I will fast forward a little bit here. And then you can see the actual board, and then he's, you know, putting all the different pieces and stuff on it there to uh, replace the power supply. And this is something you can get the schematics or you can order the raw boards. And I, I'm i not sure if John is planning on manufacturing. I know he made some before he went in the hospital and he sold them out almost immediately because not everybody knows how to solder. Um, so I don't know if he's planning on actually manufacturing some more completely built ones or if it's all going to be these kit form things. But it might be an opportunity if he's not planning on doing any of his own full-blown boards, you know, fully assembled, that maybe he can get somebody else to start doing the manufacturing kind of like Sloopy does for some other people. Um, where they do the designing and stuff and, and make the initial run of boards bare, and then somebody else solders everything in and puts it in, and then you can buy them from them. Hopefully, they'll do something like that because I know some people in the dragon community that are like me, they just can't do soldering. Next up on the Dragon 3264 Facebook group, we have Phil Harvey Smith, um, probably one of the more famous people in the current uh, dragon community. He said that the Dragon Meetup, we worked out how to get the Ghost Rush game to work on a 2x16 Dragon 32. So a bit of explanation here. Later Dragon 32 boards ran like Cocoa boards, where you had eight RAM chip slots. And you would just put 64K chips in it, and it would basically let you run 32K normally, and then you have to do some hardware tweaking to get 64, same as we did in the Cocoa 1. The older boards, on the other hand, had 16 chips, uh, which would only handle up to 16K RAMs. And if you have this photo here, if you're watching, you can see them in the back. Now, this worked just like stacking 16K RAMs in a Cocoa 1, which I did do in my machine, and I had the exact same problem they're talking about here. So the problem is, is that the VDG chip, and maybe it's in conjunction with the SAM, can only do video on the lower 16K, the first eight chips. The second ones on the Cocoa, if they were stacked on top of each other, or in this case, the second row in the back, you can run programs, you can put data in there, you cannot feed video. You would just get garbage. And that's why Ghost Rush did not work properly on this older Dragon 32. They were trying to demonstrate it at the, at the Dragon meetup because Paul programmed the game to have the graphics in the higher part of 32K, not the lower part. So, of course, it was trying to put graphics in an area the VDG can't see. So this is a hardware modification to enable the video to work in the second bank. And uh, I wish I'd known about this back in the day. Actually, no, I don't because I... Because I have the stacked 16K thing, and I did have some graphic demos and stuff that required 32K for video RAM, I just upgraded to 64K and went screw it. So actually, I'm kind of glad I did that. But if you have one of these older Dragon 32 motherboards that has 16K chips, like 16 of them, there is a modification you can do now, not only to get that particular game to work, but anything else that is trying to put graphics in the upper 16K to get those to work as well. So big thank you to Phil Harvey Smith for figuring out how to do that. And if you need the details, go on to the Dragon Group on Facebook. And I am finally done the news. Well, that's good, Curtis. And by the way, if you didn't notice, it's a 180-degree, five-pin DIN composite output connector. I did not notice that. I don't even know what that is. Five-pin DIN? Like the, uh, I think the cassette? No. Yeah, cassette on the back of the Coco. Oh, okay, yeah. 
That's their video out. I see Brian has rejoined us, and I see Alan has joined us. So welcome to Alan, and welcome back, Brian. Hey, Alan, Brian. did you have anything you wanted to plug or talk about, or did you just pop in just to, to visit? I was coming in to, for like acquisitions part of the show. I had a bunch of bunch of things going on that I could show you. You know. Oh, cool. And yeah, we are at that part of the show. Oh, so. Is anybody else before Alan gets started? Does anybody else have any project updates, acquisitions they want to talk about? Just so we know to queue up after. I've got something to throw on eventually, but let him go first. Okay, go ahead, Alan. You have so, the floor. I was almost afraid to come on the show today because I thought there would be some uh, uh, payback from the show being so short last week. Wasn't it just <laughs> like an hour and a half or something? Record low, record short like that. Yeah, I'm going to have to ask the trash talkers yeah. about that and say, we did do a short show. I didn't see you guys watching it. Yeah. <laughs> it was an hour <laughs> minus the 15, or plus the 15 minutes for the lead, lead in. So it was one of the shortest it's, ones ever. It's because you didn't come on last week, Alan. Yeah. Well, I'll make up for Brian Weezer not being on the show today. So I have uh, just a bajillion things going on. So I could show you some boards that I got from, from Pedro Pena. I could show you a key fix board I got from Rick. Um, I have a whole pile of computers that Brian Weasler sent me working on Coco DV. So I, I just got Coco DV working on an MC10. I could show oh, you cool. that. Nice. I have I have a Dragon 32 down there to tie into what you just talked about. It's not up and running right now. Um, well, just start uh, at the top of the list and work your way down. <laughs> okay. All right. Yep. Let's see. So going back to what Pedro sent me, you've seen these before, but it ties into something that I've been working on since December. So you've seen his Cocoa 2 reproduction boards. And it's a little blurry on my screen, but uh, this was the one he called Ralph. Yeah. And... Ziggy. And uh, then this is a new board I'm working on, same form factor. And uh, this is a Coco 2 or maybe a future Coco 3 board made out of all modern components. Um, except for it, it has the uh, a 28 pin socket for the old ROMs. So you could take a, a Coco 2 28 pin ROM and plug in here or a Coco 3 ROM and plug here. Um, it's it's up and running as a Coco 2 right now. And that's as far as I've taken it. But you know, in the future, I'd, I'd love to be able to make a Coco 3. Um, but I, I used uh, Pedro's boards to sort of confirm that, you know, my board was shaped right, you know, that the, the holes were in all the right spots. And uh, they line up, so they these fit pretty well into a cocoa case. Um, but yeah, I love what <clears throat> what Pedro has been doing here, and uh, I think I believe this is the one he's working on right now. It's the I believe this is the latest one that has the uh, that fits the T1 DDG. And he's working on that at the moment. Now, you know, your expanded one, are you planning on like adding in like built-in sound cards and or sound chips and stuff like that too to make it a almost a Coco 4 or something? Or no, no, I, I want I want to make it a Coco 2 or a Coco 3. Just you know, like just with modern components that you can actually get off the shelf. Right. Yeah. 
Yeah, I just want it to be completely retro compatible. Just you know, plug in all of your joysticks, components, peripheral, you know, peripherals, accessories, and and just be a, a Coco that you you know you can build today with DigiKey parts. So okay. that's that's the the. I don't know if you wanted to take like the the sound chip from the C Speech Sound Packet or the York ninety eight bit DAX, which are no, standard old no. equipment, and throw those on too, so it's all built in. No, probably. How about a real time clock? Yeah, no, no. There's probably not going to be very much feature creep here. Uh, Darn. <laughs> feature creep. That's our version middle name. One, version one. Version one. <laughs> yeah, you you got to get you just got to get the basic thing working first, and uh, that. Oh no, that I can wait. I just I was wondering if you were planning on expanding. We just got a comment from David Lord in the chat too. So it goes RTC real time clocks. So he's saying the same thing. Because okay. every yeah, opportunity we've so, we had to put one year. in in modern machines or or modern peripherals, I should say. It's been a lost opportunity. Well, yeah, this one is called Coco 23. So it's 2023. It's Coco 23. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, um, There's three requests now for RTC in the chat. So, <laughs> you know. <laughs> it's pretty crazy. You know, you just you just mentioned that, you know, you're working on a board and, you know, where's the real-time clock, right? Well, actually, since David Ladd's on the call, and we were talking about this before, um, the smartwatch actually goes into a ROM socket, and then the ROM goes into it. And basically, there's a special sequence you write over top the ROM to basically have it swap out so you can use the ROM addresses as the real-time clock registers, and then you flip it back. So, David Ladd, if you're still there, you're using a 28-pin ROM socket? Um, The ones that I used in um, my RS-232 packs... The floppy controllers um, are using a modified version of Jim Brain's 2364 adapter, where I sn- managed to squeeze a sh- smartwatch compatible shadow clock, which is a DS1315S, which is a 5 volt compatible version of the chip. And it just barely fits between. <laughs> between the socket on on the pcb since it's surface you, mount you made it like it bar- like physically it barely fits in the yes. base no i mean between the socket it just barely it fits in the rail for the pins it fits between oh, betwi- oh the oh you can put the surface mount inside the socket and put the socket over the top of the surface mount pads and then the chip and it, yes has- it all just barely reaches and hangs together. Okay. Now, I do have a 28-pin version of it, which, of course, Mark Overholzer has one of the prototypes. <laughs> um, I was which just that, looking for it. And that one should work in the Coco 3. Of course, again, you'd have to pull the, the ROM out and socket it. But that's why I'm asking about this here, David, because he's got a ROM socket on this new board. And it's 28 pin, I'm presuming. Is that right, Alan? Yeah. Well, yeah. smartwatch go there. So you yes. could just put a smartwatch there, no soldering because it's socketed. You can just plug okay. it in. Yes. Yeah, I mean, if it lives in the address space of the ROM, you just switch. I guess you what you do. It's a, a software a, switch. You, you do a program ROM to RAM so you can continue running yep. more basic out of RAM and then you switch then you gotta it to get to the ROM again. Yeah, basically, basically oh. to read or write to the smartwatch, what you do is you map the ROMs in if you have them mapped up, mapped out already. And then you have to write a 64. Uh, byte sequence on alternating the first address and the second address of the ROM. There's a specific zero ones that you're doing this that tells it to enable itself. And then when you go to read or write to that ROM, now you're talking to the smartwatch chip itself. 
So you can set the time, read the time, do whatever you yeah. want to do. And then you do that same sequence again to map the ROM back in, and then you then you're back to normal. But it gives so you don't to have to do any of that. Yeah, you just have to just if it fits in the 28 pin and it fits on the board and, and plugs in, then you should be able to support the smartwatch the way you have it now. Oh, okay. All right. Well, we can we can take feature creep that's free like that. That's fine. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. And then you know, next year 2024, we can do anything next year. But yeah, one thing at a time. Okay, so that was that so there is such um, a thing as good feature creep. Yeah, if it's as long as it's good feature creep, then uh Rick Ulan sent me, I bought a, a Keyfix 3. I'm getting that working. And and then um, he sent a Keyfix 1. So he didn't have any any previously for the 1, but now he has his first one. And I think he said there might be two different flavors of the Coco 1 keyboard. And I just received that. So yeah, this is awesome. This, this is it. So, you know, Coco One keyboard looks all legit and stock, right? Yep. Cleans it up pretty nicely. Uh, but here's his new board on the back. And, uh, you know, inside it, now instead of having a uh, little uh, gold plated contacts and a, you know, a board that wears out, uh, now he has his little micro switches, surface mount micro switches inside there. So how does it sound when you type on that? Then I'm kind of curious. I've never seen it in the Coco One. So my microphone's probably terrible. Actually, hang on. Turn off this heater. Um, I don't know if you can hear it, but let's see. The numbers, letters. Oh, no sound at all. Well, I'm probably not near the right speed. You can hear it earlier when you were typing on it, actually. Yeah. So, well, can you hear it here? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Who knows? The acoustics in here are probably weird. So uh yeah, it's it has it has the old feel. And I would say it's a little more, it's clickier. You know, he, he put the clicky switches in, so it it clicks. Yeah, I, I should probably not have done that. The the <laughs> rubber feel and the click don't match. It's it's fine. No, it's good. No, I prefer the audible. If I can tell that key got yeah. pressed enough to register, I prefer that. I was gonna say if 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 I was to choose, I would say give me the give me the clicky because it's, it's not like I'm gonna write an entire book on here and, and annoy people with all the clicking sounds. It's not gonna be that annoying. It, you know, it's gonna. Oh, be... I thought you were gonna finish your Pac-Man game on there. Okay. Yeah, Starbucks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, just that's all joystick. Oh yeah, type it, type the whole game in on this. But yeah, so that's really cool. Um, yeah, here's what the uh, the old board looked like. That was the visible side that you could see. And then this is the part, if it would focus, this is the part that wears out. So there's four little pads. There's a pad in the center. And all of these oxidized years ago, and they went high resistance. Um, in the back of the key, there's a a separate gold-plated piece, a little springy metal piece that comes down and shorts the center pad to all four outer pads. And, and that piece is fine. The, those gold contacts made it, but, but these plated contacts wore out. So Rick just replaced them all with micro switches. Okay. And let's see what else came in. So, um, Coco DV, let me swing the camera around here. I can show you the MC10. 
Where is it? Here it is. There's the MC10. And there's his off, there's his power switch over there. Everything's all backwards to me on my screen right now. That's why I'm so, so flipped out. So I've just had the, okay, there, so the story here was the, I didn't think this would ever work. I didn't think the Coco DV would, would ever work with the MC10, but it's working now. Sort of, there it is. Oh, a new firmware for me to acquire. <laughs> yeah. Um, Sloopy's going to be happy also because he he's the uh, first customer of this. And uh, But yeah, the story behind this is that the MC-10 is just built. It's made so totally different than, than a 6809 and a SAM-based system. And I didn't really think this would work, but it took a little bit of tweaking yesterday. And, and it works fine in the end. But, I mean, it's it's a different processor even. It's a, what is it, a 6803 instead of a 6809? Yes, 6803. Three, right? And no SAM. So it's it's using the, the address bus, and it's completely different. It's, it's sharing one address bus with the CPU, the RAM, and the video. And there's, you know, there's no, there's a separate, in the Coco, there's a separate video bus that's completely interleaved. So in, in every single clock cycle, you, you get two RAM accesses, one for the CPU, if he needs one, and then one for, uh, for the VDG video. And uh, this, is, this is very different over here in the MC10. And let's see, with the MC10, its cursor is uh, flashing only one color. Is that coming, is that coming across at all? It's yeah, the dragon did that too. Okay. Yeah, this looks washed out on the video. I think the camera is not really capturing it. It's That's crisp. normal for most cameras. Okay, yeah, it's, it's actually crisp in real life. But if you press on the MC10, if you press Control Zero, it cycles to the next color, and the manual says it, it does this so that you know what I don't know. I guess so you know what color your 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 graphics blocks will be if you turn the graphics block at the moment. Yeah, so you just keep pressing it; it cycles through one color at a time. Control Zero. Control and on the MC10, you can type the graphics blocks in from the keyboard. Yeah, yeah, isn't that handy? So I guess I could press shift or control, probably control. No, it's not control. That's control is the, uh, the quick way to get to the second command or the, the command on the key. Yeah, there's a graphics block. So yeah, then I guess you could change the color of them. And now I'm printing an orange block. Yeah. So this is my first MC10. This came from Brian Weasler. So I'm starting to learn a couple things about the, about the MC10 right now. And let's see, right here beside it, this is the, uh, the Coco 23 board running and being brought up. 
but it's look at all that extra space for upgrades. Yeah, it's a it's an empty sea of yeah. So it's it's based on uh, you know all the original connectors as close or as close as possible to the original connectors. Um, and you know, there you go. You could see you could sort of see how the functionality is partitioned into various chips if that's focusing enough. The built-in SD card. Yes. So if I'm reading that labeling right, that one center square chip, you've got the uh, CPU, the SAM, the VDG, and the Gimme all in one chip. Yes. Uh, potentially. So uh, right now, <laughs> the saying the Gimme is a little bit disingenuous. It's not in there yet. That would be the that would be a future potential. Right now, the uh, 6809 and the SAM and VDG are in there. So the interleaved RAM is going, and you just gotta. Yeah, so interleaved RAM is so interleaved RAM is still functioning. So it's 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 static RAM instead of dynamic RAM, but it's still being interleaved, and uh, it's all cycle accurate. So I'm using um, 6809 replica logic that is as cycle accurate as anybody could make it. I forget the gentleman's name who who posted, who created this and posted it. Uh, but he he went to great lengths to keep it cycle accurate. So, for example, uh, I have a question before you before you go on that. Yeah. Uh, the third chip you got there is labeled as PIA zero and one, so that's the sixty eight twenty one, sixty eight twenty two. I'm presuming. Exactly. But you have something else underneath that says D- disk or something. Is that a disk controller as well in that chip? So th- that's mm. the thought. Is there's an SD card here. And a, a spot for the AT Mega 25, whatever, whatever that is, the, the nano board. And working in coordination with the PIAs uh, is the potential to have a, a built-in Cocoa Flash, like, you know, an SD Flash drive. So there's a little switch here right now that, that it, it says internal disk. You can turn on internal disk and it ignores the uh, cartridge port. And it, it goes and looks for the um, it goes and looks for your disk ROM in upper memory on your first ROM, and uh, and it looks for the the disk port instead of here on the cartridge port. It goes and finds it um, here instead. So uh, so you could just turn turn on internal disk, and eventually you know when that's working then you could access this like a, uh, a flash drive. Okay, cool. Oh, wait, sorry, carry on. I interrupted you to ask about that. Where was I? Um, oh, about the cycle accuracy. So, uh, for example, you know, to you want to be cycle accurate if you want to run a game like Dragonfire, you know? Yeah. Um, so it does run Dragonfire. So... Um, uh, so you, you know he, the guy did a really good job on on his 6809 port, uh, his logic port. I really wish I could remember his name because he went to really great lengths to verify it, and uh, you know he compared it to the real chip. He he made a bunch of educated educated guesses. He, he made measurements and. By golly, <laughs> there there was one thing in it 
that was incompatible with Dragonfire. Uh, it, it was a little a bit of a something that didn't really follow the the assembly language standards. That the little trick they did in Dragonfire that you know no one could have guessed. You know, the real sixty eight or nine behaves one way when it sees this this certain situation and that was incompatible with dragon fire but i found it was a pretty small little thing and i i found that and, and you know patched that up uh but yeah to, to run dragon fire you have to be really cycle accurate because uh when it hits the uh the vertical refresh it goes into <laughs> you know Custom yeah, it changes timing. the color set on the VDG like five times per scan line or yeah, something like that. Yeah, it, it goes into custom timing overdrive, right? You was know. that Greg Miller? Yes. It, I remember it was a really basic name. Yeah, really. Yeah, Greg, I'm pretty sure it was Greg Miller. Greg Miller of Greggy Term fame? I didn't know him before uh, before finding his port. So I, I, didn't, you know, I don't know what else he did or does. But, it was the same Greg Miller I'm thinking of. Him and Eric Gabrilek are the guys who did Color Max 3, Color Max 3 Deluxe. I'm thinking team. Okay. No? Different Greg Miller? Because he, he's got some pretty okay. good technical chops. It wouldn't surprise me. And I don't really, I really don't know why he made it. Uh, and he might explain it up on his, his GitHub where, where he makes this available. Uh, but it's been a couple of years ago when I first ran across it. And I said, I followed that away and thought, you know, that's, you know, this guy really did a bang up job i gotta you know try this out sometime and you know it's it's for real it's you know the fact that it just comes up and and runs all the you know some of the more challenging old software is very impressive so if greg miller is out there listening ever uh kudos and thank you i don't know why you made this but it's really awesome Cool. That 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 looks really enticing. I have to say, it's it is so fun. I mean, to to uh, yeah, and to think that if I don't know, my my whole goal is if chips start going belly up in a few years, I want to have a plan in place for you know how do I replace my cocoa with something I can still make, and uh, that's why I'm doing this. It's part of the the motive to. You know, preserve the the art and you know keep it in you know keep it as a good viable hobby for us for years to come. So I, I was just taking a look at his uh, his uh, readme on the on the uh, GitHub under who am I at the end here? He says, my name is Greg Miller. I learned assembly in 1981 on a 689 on a color computer, leaving me fond of the CPU architecture. Uh, Nick, I think that is the same Greg Miller. Okay. Because he wrote Blackbeard's Island for Tom Mix back in 84. He did Greggy Term, uh, the Macintosh picture viewers for the Coco 1, 2, and 3, along with Eric. He also did Color Max 3, Color Max 3 Deluxe. I think he did a lot of pretty intense 609 programming back in the day. Yeah, and I don't know what his motivation was other than, you know, the interest and the challenge of just making one. Um, I don't know if, if he used it in a in a device or a hobby or if you know if someone else picked it up and did anything with it, but it can't just lie there and go to waste. It's you know, I mean, it's it's a sweet thing. So yeah, um, I just I confirmed know. for sure it's it's the same guy because in the acknowledgments page, he's got it mentions Eric Capelik, his partner in the Millhead partnership, uh, Roger Taylor, who's quite well known here for doing the Matchbox Coco and 
the Mr. Port and a bunch of other things and doing a ton of software back in the day, like the projector and stuff like that, several games. So that that is the same Greg Miller. Yeah. So he's active on Facebook. Okay. If you have any questions for him. I may actually reach out to him uh, now that it's it's alive and running. And, you know, I'd, I'd like to share my experience with him and, and let, you know, thank him. And so I'll probably reach out there. Um, yeah, so super neat. But uh, but this is fun. And, you know, maybe later in the year or next year or sometime, if I can figure out how the gimme works, it's going in there next. And this is going okay. to be a three. And it's, you know. I, I got some comments I got to read you from the chat here. So Rocky Hill, you know who that is, right? Oh, yeah, Pedro. <laughs> he said, holy smokes, what did I just turn, tune into? This is amazing. And then he goes, uh, great work. Uh, how are you reading the joysticks? They, uh, so I have the the sort of the front end uh, electronics right there at the den. They're, it matches the old, the Coco 2. And uh, all those lines come into the PIA just like they always did. So the... The FPGA, that second one you're asking about there, Curtis, that second one that's the PIA zero and one, it acts just like the uh, the old PIAs, and it just it scans um, it scans by virtue of a color basic ROM that you know goes out and reads the PIAs. So you got the same row and column for the keyboard, yeah, and it it drives a column, it reads a row, that thing. So it, it's just like that, and um, the the big deal with trying to modernize anything like this is always the five volt TTL interface. Yeah. You know, it's just, so everything modern is going to be 3.3 volts or lower. So uh, one of the tricks here is to have, have a little wall of, of voltage isolation, voltage translation, so that everything out on the periphery at, you know, the cartridge port is five volts, the, the joystick ports are five volts. The, the RS-232 is plus and minus, um, you know, bipolar volts. And, uh, and then you just translate everything right as it goes into the 3.3 uh, volt IC chip. But it's like, it's still, it's running the, you know, the exact same keyboard scan. Oh, and that's another thing. <laughs> um, so if you're going to build a new, Coco, you're going to need a keyboard, and I don't want you to have to scavenge one from a, a good, authentic Coco. So you need to be able to make a mechanical keyboard that looks like, like a keyboard, right? And um, and I saw Ed's, which oh my goodness, yeah, Can going right here. What he did, <laughs> I mean, yeah, he did it all by hand. He's like, he's like, okay. Oh, the, the keycaps are problematic because you know you have the the two with the apostrophe instead of you know the yeah he laser tab. etches them all one at a time. He's like, okay, I'll just buy a laser etcher and I'll just you know <laughs> I'll just go and I'll just make all my keys. So oh my goodness, that thing is amazing. So what I thought I would do, I can't do that. I I don't know how to make keycaps, and so what I've done is I've remapped a keyboard. So I can, I or someone can go build a standard mechanical keyboard laid out for the most part, you know, 90% like the Coco, but use standard keys when it comes to the, the number keys, you know, the, the special characters. So just use standard keys and remap those keys to what the Coco wants to see in the PIA. 
And uh, I have that prototyped up and working. So, so my Cocoa keyboard that I've attached is remapped as if it were standard keys. So I, I can't look at what's printed on the key. I have to touch type and try to think what the key should be right at, at the moment. A, a suggestion and uh, have an option for numeric keypad, maybe a hex pad, because you can just duplicate those lines to go to the same parts of the PIA as the real well, ADA. Right. Where in the world are you going to put it and still fit in a cocoa case? Won't, won't have oh, to... right. Yeah, you're you're making this board scalable so it goes in a cocoa yeah. case. Yeah, I mean, you could take, I mean, I guess you could take a John Strong case or does someone make a, a cocoa 3D printed case, maybe, um, I would guess. Um, take one of those and, you know, put the board in it, put a new mechanical. I mean, I mean, there was, if you look in Color Computer News 1982, I'll have to get the exact issue, but somebody did in the original Cocoa 1 case, because it's a little bit bigger than Cocoa 2 or 3, they did take a Model 3 keyboard and put it in there, and the mirror keypad and all. They had to cut some of the edges of the key surround there a bit okay. to get it to fit, but it did technically fit in the case and you know what it may not look right but i'll tell you what i will do curtis i'll put a little little auxiliary connector on the new if i ever make a, a keyboard oh so board. like the hgl <laughs> number jack that um yeah Ron Devo and ryan reasler shown yeah and i'll just let you you know come out the side of your coco if you want that option and you got a, a new numeric keypad over on the side you know so th this like is that. interesting someone must have done the work to translate a teletype matrix which the coco has to a typewriter matrix, which everything else in the world has. I wonder if that work's been done. So could we make a dual matrix keyboard without a whole lot oh, of track cuts? And So you think, Rick, you so, think the keyboard itself would translate? So, so when I'm in OS 9 mode, I want the quote to be over the two so my brain doesn't have to get out of Cocoa mode while I'm thinking about OS 9 programs. But when I'm typing text, yeah, make it look like a PC to match the keycaps because I'm probably half looking at the keycaps anyway. Yeah, huh. this is- Well, yeah, so I mean, I guess any, anything you can plug in, you know, that, that 15 pin thing, yeah. Coco keyboard connector, anything you can plug in there, you know, will, will just work. Uh, now, okay, there would be, so um, one thing that might be a problem is if, if that, device relied on five volts well there, there's no five volts available on oh, no it's not device. you're feeding it you're feeding yeah. the keyboard from your pia itself so yeah. it's running at whatever voltage you're providing yeah so my keyboard is actually running at 3.3 volts instead of five so as long as whatever widget you're thinking about oh can run at 3.3 volts run it with 3.3 volt you know usually usually if you drive ttl with 3.3 volts strong enough driven um if it's strong enough current wise the voltage levels are usually fine you know the, the voltage is plenty high for ttl thresholds it doesn't need to go to five volts but it just would need to be um yeah i, I it would probably it's probably passive well, I, I am probably, i am the master of finding the five the five volt tolerant chip so okay <laughs> so challenge accepted Okay. Yeah, so it could work. It could potentially work. Cool. That that, that nice. looks really nice. interesting, actually. <laughs> yeah, it's it's really fun too. Um, it's I think I've wanted to do this for I guess it's been a year and a half. Uh, I think I started thinking about it Thanksgiving before last, and I I got sort of started back then. I, I made a 
think I made a quick prototype where I used one of these evaluation boards, a development board. Uh, I, didn't, I didn't know about Coco FPGA yet. And uh, I was finding out about it at, at the same time I was doing that. And I, I sort of made a little prototype of a Coco 2 in one chip. But to be honest, I didn't like that because it didn't have the right connectors and it didn't have the right form factor. And what I think I want is I want it to just look exactly like a cocoa and power on exactly like a cocoa. You know, when I click the power switch, I just want it to sort of look and feel like a cocoa and just turn on to the uh, give me the color basic prompt or the OS9 prompt. Oh, that's another cool thing, Curtis. The um, uh, John Fed has made a, uh, a Nitrous 9 level one driver uh, for Coco DV. Yeah, I saw that. Yeah, it's really cool. So I, I'm an OS 9 person now. I've been inducted in there and, and I can run Nitrous 9 on here. Join uh, us. level one because it's... I'm running it on the Coco 2 mode right now, but yeah, um, yeah. Well, so, I helped on the I, I helped do some optimizations to the Coco VGA drivers to the 64 by 32, so it's really good. The DVs also supports now. We have two alternate, you know, higher res text screens with you know crisp, clear output to modern devices on the Coco one and two. Yes. Well, I'm rambling on, but where I was going was to say that I want to turn the Coco on and see Color Basic or Nitrous Nine or whatever, and I don't want to be configuring weird drivers and uh <laughs> flashing fpgas and doing all kinds of weird stuff i just wanted to just walk up to it and use it just like it yep. was you know so i'm trying to keep everything uh keep compatibility everywhere that i can and all the way down to, to like the way it fits into the case and mounts in it's just like pedro did it 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 just fits in um you know but I'll tell you right now, like if you get the Coco 3 version of that working, I will definitely buy one. Okay. All I've got to do is figure out everything about how the gimme works. So I mean, all I got to do is invent the gimme. Yeah. All I got to do is like reinvent the gimme, right? If you uh, want to talk to Ed about that with the gimme X, I might as well support all that stuff too at the same time. Oh, yeah. Invent the gimme X while you're at it. I'm sure. <laughs> uh, Gary, Gary Becker, the guy who did the Coco 3 FPJ, is the one who programmed the gimme X. And he's active in our Discord if you have any questions for him. So, And he's pretty good with sharing knowledge, as you know, from the Coco 3 FPJ. Yeah. What I thought I would do is, is get the MMU up first because my, my static RAM has two megabytes there. And I'm using a whopping, whopping 64K on it right now. <laughs> so I thought I would, yeah, I thought I would just you know, implement the MMU registers and just sort of gradually, you know, get yep. the memory working in, like with standard graphics and text. So it'd be like a Coco 2 with an MMU and, and two megs of RAM, you know, and start there and, and then think about the, the graphics, the higher graphics modes in a, in a whole second phase. But yeah, the Gimme is pretty much, well, it's the, it's the SAM replacement so that it can handle dynamic RAM and it has the new graphics modes. As well as the old SAM VDG ones too. What's that? It has all the SAM VDG graphics modes. Well, the original Gimme does not have semi-graphics. Right. Well, four. It, it Whereas only, the Gimme X does. Yeah, it only supported like SG4, I think. Yeah. Um, and it, it adds maybe three new interrupt sources. And... Uh, more than that, I think. There's the keyboard interrupt. 
the Bitbanger interrupt, uh, VSync, HSync programmable timer. Yeah. Oh, yeah the timer. It adds the timer. Mm-hmm. With two different sources for the speed of the timer because you, you set up, you know, how often it triggers based on yeah. which of the two timer sources. You can, so you can, you can configure the, the, uh, FIRQ and the IRQ separately for any of yep. those. Any of There's those two separate IRQs. registers. There's FIRQ, and you can set all the bits for whatever you want to be able to trigger it, and same for the IRQ. Oh, yeah. It, um, you know, not to mention, so, yeah, it's, but, yeah, so, it basically, I, I guess it would be, uh, so, I've already figured out the uh, the SAM. You know, I'm emulating the SAM, so I just have to extend that to the more MMU, and, and then um, port over the CocoDV, which has already been done, and then add all the higher graphics modes, and you know, and then I'm there. That, that's all I got. Yeah. If, if you haven't seen it already, find Sockmaster's Gimme reference because he actually goes in and adds in some third party stuff, like the one and two meg upgrade stuff. Okay. Um, I don't like for the that. video RAM to be able to switch which 512k bank it's in, etc. And these that's currently hosted on Kieran's site now because Sockmaster's site went down. Okay, so I've seen a, a brief document. I think it's Sockmaster that it sort of goes through the register set, but it, yeah. it, it that's really about all it explains is, is the register interface. And I've never found anything more than that. Other well, the service manual for Coco Three does a little bit of service there. Yeah, uh, Socks basically just goes through the software side of things, like how well the registers are programmed and okay. read, yeah, read back. Helpful. It doesn't go through the hardware. Yeah, and, I mean you can you can sort of walk through that, and you can you can just see oh okay, so they added this and that you know you can. Uh, there, there's a bunch of new registers up in the high. Honestly, Gary high Becker space. would be the person to talk to in that because, like I said, he's programmed the Gimme X for Ed to manufacture, and he did the Coco Three FPGA. So obviously, he's done it before in in that situation. Mm-hmm. If, and he's gone through all these times. In fact, he's been doing patches here. We're trying to figure out why the smartwatch is not working on the Gimme X right now. So okay. he's he's active in Coco Discord right now on this kind of stuff. So he would be definitely the one to hit up on okay. the details. I didn't know. Um, I don't want to step on any toes and I didn't know if, if there were just, you know, be something already out there that someone would want to throw my way and say, here, just, you know, you know, here, here's the source code, use this for your logic design. Uh, so because thought, Ed hasn't been able to make the Gimme X in a year and a half because of chip shortages and stuff, I would ask Gary, cause Gary's the one doing the coding for it. Yeah. Uh, he, I don't know what situation he has with Ed, but ask him because he might say, yeah, he'd be fine. Cause Ed can't make them right now anyway. So if you can make him a different way, go ahead. I don't know. He can even he can at least tell you what you don't know. Yeah, which is important because he's gone through all this. He's been working on this for several years already, and they're still fixing little bugs here and there as they come up. So, <laughs> like oh, the like no, the I... fact that the smartwatch will not register as being red when you write that special sequence over top of the ROM on the Gimme X, it just never finds it. Okay, so something's a little bit wonky on. I guess writing to ROM, it might not be handling that properly because normally, who the hell is going to do that? <laughs> right. <laughs> Yeah, it doesn't usually end well, does it? It doesn't usually work. Yeah, but he's, he's like, he had a problem, like some game cards like Rampage didn't quite work properly. That's all fixed now. I mean, I'm running a Gimme X on my machine, and I, I love it. I would never go back. The 2.86 megahertz alone is worth it. But he's got yeah. extra modes in there and extended palettes and all kinds of stuff. So, yeah, there's a lot of stuff there. But, yeah, definitely ask Gary. Gary's the one who's kind of behind the software side of that. Programming the FPGA. Uh, and David Lord mentioned the uh, 256 color mode. Don't yes. forget that. I, I yeah, wouldn't that, worry about the hidden one because nobody knows how that runs, including Mark. Um, I mean, all, 
Oh, I thought that was I thought that was interesting. No, we we know that there was a spec sheet that actually had that in there, and some very early yeah. samples before it became a chip actually did have it in there. But the Gimme X has gone far beyond that with modes beyond that. Oh, so if you're going to emulate so, something, you might as well do that because there's already existing hardware and some software that uses so, um, it. Um, the two fifty that was a uh, a a byte of color per pixel, wasn't it? What else can you? What else has it done? Has it gone with like wider resolutions or something? Yeah, he's got an extra clock, so you can do like three twenty by two hundred by two fifty six color out of a five hundred twelve color palette. And okay. That's there's, there's a bunch of stuff on there. There's a there's a stream IO mode on it. There's oh no, so that's cool guys to see. Um, I'd have to find my manual, but there's a there's a lot of stuff added on. It's not okay. just. Well, the the nice thing is you can. Uh, I think it's important to you know get the basics working correctly yep. first, yep. and just you know emulate you know create recreate the logic of a Coco three like as exactly as well. Just even can. emulating the DAT boards that the two meg upgrades would work because that was made by Disto and a bunch of other Cloud Nine and <laughs> Ed and others. Uh, the Boomerang that that's a common one. There's a lot of ones you can test it against. Yeah, and then that would kind of handle like you know up to two mega RAM. Even the original Tandy one, the Gimme only did up to five twelve K. Didn't use the upper two bits. Yeah, yeah. So I would I would get it working at five, you know, one twenty eight and five twelve K first, and and then think about some of those enhancements, you know, next year. But um, yeah. I would I think that probably I would say in the uh, in the well summer's a pretty busy time, but maybe late summer, early fall, uh, definitely by winter. I'll I'll be for sure looking at how to make this a Coco three. So it, it's a slow process because I have to find time. But yeah, I, I know what that's like. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I'm really looking forward to that. I mean, the, even the Coco one and two, just having something you can replace a, a motherboard, and yeah. you're going to have the Coco DB built into it, right? It's built in. Yeah, it has. Um, so it has uh, the the, uh, the the stealth HDMI that I call digital video. Uh, and it has VGA, so there's a VGA connector and a and a digital connector on the back. And is that including extra features like sprites and stuff too? Or it does, yeah. So yeah. I just I just brought in the whole thing, you know, the Coco DV, like everything that was in there, and just put it all in there. Yeah. Um, so and and the what I'm doing now is um, some of the very first Coco DV, DV boards that went out. Um, we're in the unspeakable mode, uh, but I'm actually I actually send them out in uh, DDI mode now, so they're you know they're just completely compliant and it, there's no yeah, legal. <laughs> there, there's no issues at all. Um, so it, it's in DDI mode, and uh, and that just means that there's no audio going through the the, the connector. Yeah, because there's some huge licensing fees if you want to do that. Yeah, so you just bring, you just pipe the regular Coco audio out to a little RCA jack and, and the connector board in the back. And, uh, and so this Coco 23 board is doing that same thing. It, there's just a, uh, right in the back, there's there's DDI connector. It stands vertical. And then a uh, sound jack and a VGA jack. <clears throat> Yeah, Alan, who's on the panel and also in the chat here, said, uh, can we start sending down payments for the Coco 2.3 and the Coco 2.4? Oh, yeah. I, <laughs> I'm going to pre-order my Coco 2.4 now. <laughs> I'll, I'll have to figure that out. Um, yeah, I'll go ahead and just and sort of cost it out and uh, you know, come up with something hopefully reasonable there. Um, you know, they're not going to be like crazy cheap, 
but I don't think they're going to be all that bad either. So do you have like a rough hundred dollar range they might be in? Like if you got it that narrowed down or no? Yeah, it'll be, um, I mean, it'll like, you know, definitely be sub $200, um, 200 us dollars, you know, somewhere under that, that level. Um, but yeah, exactly. But cheaper than you can get a real one on eBay. <laughs> Probably so. Uh, so it'll, it, you know, it'll be in that range. Um, unless there's a surprise, you know, sometimes manufacturing these is a little more difficult than you would think. And, mm-hmm. you know, if we were, if we were making thousands of them, yeah, that it would, you know, there'd be no problem, but, you know, making dozens or, you know, it's just more costly yeah. to make each yeah. one. Yeah. But yeah. Cool. But, that, but, that's but really the cool. The cool thing about that is that, you know, a Coco 2 will be the same cost as a Coco 3. It's just, it's all the hardware is already on the board for either just one. Like, yeah, just how you program it, right? Right. And the only thing Did that you I, have enough room on those chips to actually program it both ways? So you could just flip a switch if you want a Coco 2 compatible versus yeah, a Coco 3? I think so. That, that's, my, that's my hope is that maybe inside I'll just have a little jumper and you just. Rotary selector, you. And crank up from a Coco <laughs> One 4K up to PBX, <laughs> and, and I'll have this like this little like setting of two, three, or four, and everybody has to guess what what's the four. You know, that's a little teaser there. You know, you can actually get a potentiometer and have like a Coco Two, Coco Two B, Coco Two C. Yeah, I think like a little jumper that's just a Coke, you know, a two or a three jumper, and um, the ROM is already sized to hold two complete sets of 32K images. So yep, you know, you that'll cover your Coco two space and then the jumper switches over to the Coco three space, you know, and then, and then it goes, you know, it throws out the Sam and it, it brings in the guy, you know, that kind of thing. You yeah, got to come in your Coco one, Coco two cray. <laughs> <laughs> that's what the, that's what the four setting is going to do. Yeah. <laughs> Silicon Graphics Workstation. There you go. Yeah, that's that was the hope for for it anyway. At some point in the future. Yeah, I would definitely talk to Gary because I mean, it sounds like he's done a lot of what you're going to be attempting to do, especially in the Coco Three, the Gimme stuff. Both in the Coco Three FPGA, which was not as cycle accurate, and now with the Gimme X, where he's trying to make it cycle accurate, so all software runs properly on it. Um, right. To me, there wouldn't be any point in doing this if it wasn't cycle accurate because you just couldn't run all. Then the you can start hitting buttons. weird incompatibilities every once in a while, yeah. like Dragonfire was for quite a bit of time. Yeah. 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 Totally agree. Wow, that's awesome. And yeah, I'll, I'll definitely buy a Coco Three once already. Cool. Cool. I already got the Ed Snyder keyboard, so I'm ready to go there. <laughs> oh yeah, so you already have the keyboard you would need. So yeah. And then give me X, which I'll probably keep in this one, but I have a regular Coco 2 with just two meg upgrade in it and the Ed Snyder keyboard. That's the one I'll probably replace the board. Well, you've got a Coco 2 with two megs? Uh, no. Um, I have a Coco 3 with two megs. Well, two Coco 3s with two megs. One with a Gimme X, one with a regular Gimme. And I've got a Coco 1 with a Coco VGA. Oh, I did have I did have a 512 cap upgrade from Jim Brain at one time in there, but I think it's disabled right now because there's some issues with it when I was developing nitrogen nine level one stuff. Okay. Yeah. Now. And I'm, I'm ignorant right now, the things like the moo, I mean, I guess there's memory management solutions that are out there, but I yeah, that's why uh, Tormod, I think, or yeah, Tormod did that one. And it's basically a two meg 
MMU-based system, 8K banks, just like the Cocoa 3 to be compatible, but it's meant for a Cocoa 1, 2, or Dragon-style machine. So you can get up to 2 meg on there. And there's a version of OSN Level 1 that actually supports that already. So you should be able to actually, if you got the MMU working first, you should be able to test out the Moo driver, uh, maybe with some like patches to it for your specific hardware mapping, and then you should be able to actually try that out and get it to run. So that was meant for Cocoa 2s then. All right, yeah. yeah. All right. That's I'm right on that, idea. David, aren't I? Uh, David, you probably know more about the mood than I do. Yeah, yeah. That, that's a... I mean, that would be... I was going to say, that would be the way to go is, you know, get the MMU working and, um, you know, check out the rest of the RAM and then, you know, then bring in the, the, the graphics enhancements later. Yeah. I'm trying to remember. I was hoping, David, I mean, you might have had to step away here, but I'm trying to remember. I think the Moo... You can't move the video out of the initial 64K. That was one issue. Whereas on the Google 3, of course, you can move Correct. the video anywhere you want. Okay. Correct. So if you can fix that, and like, so you can move the video anywhere, then it would really work well. You could add windowing to Coco 1 and 2 at that point, like multiple screens. Oh, yeah. I would probably just do what the Coco 3 is doing and... Uh, you know, map map the video any anywhere into the five twelve k five twelve k space that where you want. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because if you're going to one and two megs, there's a separate register that was added on that you can pick which five twelve k bank the video is going to be in. Yeah, I wasn't sure how they did that trick. I mean, I've always heard about two meg, so I wanted to try to support it. Well, I, I mean, the, the actual music easy. They just basically enabled read and write bits for the upper two bits because right now okay. they only use the lower six. That solves the RAM mapping as far as programs go. The video, you actually have a 512K bank you can set to 00011011 for which 512K bank. Now, if you start a screen, say a 32K graphics screen, 16K from the end, it wraps to the beginning of that bank. It doesn't go into the next bank. That's okay. how they did it. So it had to kind of follow the original Guinness 512K space for the video. But you can tell it to move all the video to a different 512K bank. But they, there must be some, they must have added some hardware too, because the original, I mean, the Gimme just doesn't. Yeah, there's a whole little DAT board you got to get that. That's it. Well, yeah, Disto well, did that. Yeah. I figured that must be it because, I mean, it just says, okay, you know, here's, there's, you know, however many more bits of a bank, you know, yeah. bank memory. And then that that's it. It only knew about 512K worth of banks. Yeah. Yeah. When you bought the Disto, it comes with the original Disto was dynamic RAM, like stacked and hot as hell. <laughs> so you plug it into the five twelve k stack two of these things, and but basically you had a separate dad board. You uh, you actually took the CPU, out, put it in a socket, you plugged in this weird riser thing with the dad board that would add in basically intercepting the RAM read writes to add these extra bits in, and then you would have the CPU plugged into the top of that. So when it's reading and writing, it would actually get these extra bits to select where the RAM reads and writes in the sixty four k space are coming from. Okay. Cool. And that's that you're going beyond my hardware understanding here. That's about as best I can explain. I'm sure Rick can explain it way better than I could. Well, it's one of those things you just have you have to get it in front of you and stare at it for a while and then get you know get your head in that mode. And uh I can do that and then forget everything, you know, four weeks <laughs> later and have to go. I'm way ahead of you. I forget before I get started. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, so that that was my project updates for the for the week. Uh. I'm sorry, were you guys talking about the Disto board for the uh, Cocoa 1 and 2? No, for the Cocoa 3. Oh, okay. Cocoa 3 2 meg board, yeah. Or 1 meg for that matter. You sold both. Never mind. I have the Disto board for the Cocoa 1. That gave, uh, well, what is this? No, this is, 
Let me turn this on. Turn the camera here. here. <laughs> you want to share it? Okay. Uh, yeah, we can't no. see your, your tiny postage stamp at the moment. I guess I got to be broadcaster. Hang on. Nap time's over, Mark. Yeah. <laughs> sure. Okay. So this is a little hacked, but this was the uh, uh, DAT board yep. for the That's disto. The and then there was a little a little so side socket adapter. Somewhere. Yeah, it came out as a double header connector, and then no, the pins spread apart to the width of the sockets in a six out of nine socket. Yeah, and it spread spread oh. over it. <laughs> and then, Plug that uh, into the actual. And then you had the one one flying lead over, basically a double stack of, uh, of RAM. RAM boards. Wow. And, uh, uh, I, of course, you know, the, the power supply immediately burned out on it. So I had to add, uh, <laughs> yeah, it ran hot. We put a fan in our work machine with the one meg upgrade too. Yep. So one thing about a modern recreation of a cocoa is they run really low power and cool. Right. Yep. Right. For a couple of double A's in the bottom and away you go. Probably. So I didn't even measure the power input yet. I was going to do that eventually over on the bench, but I mean, it, it's got to be really low because I'm using it. So what you're saying is you can make a portable. Yeah. I don't see why not. I mean, I want to make it full size though. So that, you know, form factor and everything. But you can make it full size and then just have a, like a little plug-in for a, a battery powered LCD. Oh, oh yeah. Oh, the, sure. The yeah. keyboard cutout is just enough room for a screen to fold down over it. And yeah. Yeah, like porting it would be yeah a lot easier. You you wouldn't. It, it's going to be lighter weight, you know, no transformer in there, and all those benefits. Yeah, yeah, because you you could I could, I could literally pull in like my actual Coco three looking like machine into McDonald's and you know with you know one of the Wi Fi chip solutions we have. Everybody else is pulling out their MacBook M ones or whatever, and I'll just be yeah. on my old Coco. Nobody would think you're one bit weird at all, Curtis. No, no, not at all. <laughs> they never think that of me. No. But that disto board, so man, people really went to great lengths to. Uh, so what that, that gave you two fifty six k. That gave you one meg of the one that he was showing you there, yeah. and then disto later came with a two meg version that okay. added two wires, like two pins, to do the extra two bits on the MMU. The first one only had one. And then okay. J and R did something similar for the Cocoa ones with the banker project. Yeah, but that was thirty two k banks. That wasn't an MMU. That was basically using the the you know, the SAMs. Because you can do 32k lower RAM, upper RAM plus the ROM, you can switch 96k around. It basically yeah. extended that into 32k chunks. You could map in bank one, bank zero, bank two, bank three, bank four. Oh, okay. So all the banks showed up in that extra ROM area. Well, yeah, you'd you'd start a program and say in the lower 32k, then you'd swap the ROM out for RAM on the upper bank. Would you tell it to use bank five? So now I'm using like 192 to whatever. Okay. 224. It was all 32k chunks, basically. It wasn't. And they pretty much use it as a RAM disk. Most that's what most of the people did. Yes. Okay, yeah. I was thinking like, what useful thing could? Yeah, but maybe a RAM disk would be. There was good. a uh, there was a micro RGS made one that was actually I think even on the Cook one two went up to one meg, and they had a, like a special print spooler driver that ran in there plus RAM disks and, uh, I think you could actually use a virtual swapper for variables or something like that they had some option where you could use like one bank for like string variables or something like that they had to patch basic to do it but okay you can actually extend your programs to have more room in themselves without having to resort to ram disk functions i think i might be remembering that wrong okay yeah that would have been cool back then i i didn't know about that at the time yeah 
It was Market RGS. So they used to have full page ads in the rainbow and they were selling all kinds of stuff. It's called the VidRam or something, or I can't remember what it's called now. Look at Rainbow, probably around the 84, 85, 86, somewhere. Oh, I, I definitely saw the ad. Yeah, I do remember seeing the ads, but not really understanding what it was for. In fact, or, if I remember, they even had an option for 68,008 add-on CPU upgrade that you could combine with that, mm-hmm. which I don't know if that actually made it to the, the public. I mean, Chris Burke was planning on one of those, too, at one point. His, uh, what did he call it, the Rocket Boost or something? But the, he didn't get enough pre-orders to to warrant it, so it never came out. But the micro RGS, they might have actually sold some of those. I've never seen one in person, though. Well, after all that, Rick, are you ready to follow up with your big announcement? Uh, well, I don't really have a big announcement, but I guess I'll run <laughs> through it anyway. Why the heck not? So, um, also anyway. plugs to you for the key fixes because he he got a few there to show us. So. Oh, yeah, I'm, I'm working on that. In fact, I had a little bit of a, uh, a Coco keyboard surprise this week. So we'll go into what that might be. Um, let's see. So, keyboard surprise. <laughs> it's the keyboard surprise. This is perfectly a good way to pronounce it. You must have disabled the spell checker on your editor there. <laughs> so anyway, we had, we had this uh, sort of multi-fiber keyboard and then we had the metal anarchy flag keyboard um and the anarchy flag keyboard has rubber domes under it which everyone told me they the multi keyboards always do right so i got another one from uh coconut bob on discord another uh multi keyboard fiber back just like the one i already had and uh, looking inside of them same stock number on the back Three weeks apart in date codes. And uh, the surprise about the whole deal, if I click on the right window, is based on there's a little spring that's an integral part of the pushing down the key button mechanism. So it's, uh, this is really weird. And in those three weeks, they already had a cost-reduced version. Notice a lot of the plastic is missing. Oh, yeah. They, They had already cheapened it out. And these springs are critical. The, the length and pressure of the spring has to be just right or the keys don't work. So this is kind of fun. Um, and again, they're they're exactly the same on the outside. There's no way to tell these two apart. Until you take it apart? Until you take it apart. And do you have the, the cost-reduced one or the other one? But anyway. Um, um, could, the di- could the back up a couple frames? Uh, one more. Okay. Oh, no, that wasn't it. Uh, one plus. I was looking at the uh, plas- uh, phenolic. If the ho- large hole in the middle was different in some way to tell the difference between the two. No, they aren't. It, it's a yeah. weird hole that doesn't that isn't appropriate to anything. Yeah. Just a strange little punch out in the middle of the board. And, I was thinking um, maybe if those were different to tell you the difference between those two boards. Right. And we know now the metal sheet is integral to bridging this space so the metal sheet keeps the mylar it stands up the mylar you know so yeah and yeah it's just a really weird situation um like i say the and it it's really strange because we started with the uh the uh this one and it has springs inside of it then they went to the anarchy flag one which 
has rubber domes inside of it, but looks like a more modern keyboard. And then so they went to. <laughs> so there's three versions of the melted keyboard. Yes. There's the metal back one you can. You At can least that we identify. know of. And then there's the two like this that you can't identify. And they're only three weeks apart because if I zoom in on. Where is a good date code? I think one of these has a readable date code on it. So here we go. 4683, the other one was 4383. Same part number. Unless you just got lucky and got the switchover. Yeah, I may have just caught the switchover date, but I think they both work the same and the key fix will fit on both of them. It's just weird that in three weeks they took cut out all of this extra plastic and made a very cost-reduced version of the exact same bezel with the exact same part number. <laughs> but they have to make a new mold. That's expensive. Well, yeah, it is, but look how much plastic there was in here. You know, I, mean, <laughs> I, I guess it was worthwhile because they did it. And from the outside, you can't tell the difference. But anyway, that was the, kind of the surprise of the week. And in the process of making uh, Allen's, I made the highly coveted chiclet to Kogo 3 keyboard upgrade. Everybody <laughs> wants that. It drops perfectly in. All you need, all you need, is my little right angle ribbon cable to Mylar adapter, and you're good to go. Anyone ever needed those silly function keys and all control, anyways? Well, right, and, and those chicklets just had that dead flesh feel when you smash them down. You really like. Um, I guess that's all I got. Oh yeah, here's the the chicklet thing is available now. If you don't mind two bodge wires that are inside the keyboard where you can't see them. Otherwise, it'll be out in a couple of weeks. And that's kind of where I'm at right now. Now I've got to go back to the, uh, the multi-pack for two weeks and then rewrite www because it's only seven weeks till the Cocoa Fest, and that gives me two weeks to make up a display. So I'll be good. Yeah, I, did. I didn't realize it was that soon here until it was mentioned earlier in the show. Right? Like, oh, geez. <laughs> I don't even have two months left. Oh, my yeah. gosh. I haven't, even, like, I haven't even thought of what we're talking about the seminar yet, never mind starting to write anything for it. I'll have to think of something quick. It may just be about the travels to Cocoa Fest. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it'll be my lusting over this new board that Alan's working on. That's what it'll be doing. Yeah, that I'll was pretty cool. We'll just put a picture of it out, the Cocoa 3 version up on the back, and I'll just sit there drooling for an hour. That's what I'll do. All right. Well, anybody else got anything? Not I. Crickets? No. Stick a fork in it. Yeah, I think All we're right. done. Okay. So much for our one-hour show tradition we started last week. <laughs> yeah, well. This concludes another episode of The Coco Nation, the world's leading live interactive talk show featuring the Tandy Color Computer. For all things The Coco Nation, visit us on the web at thecoconation.com. We'd love to hear from you. Send feedback, suggestions, even segments via email to show at thecoconation.com. The Coco Nation Show would not exist without the community and its cast and crew. The Coco Nation theme song copyright 2022 D. Bruce Moore. Mixed, mastered, and produced by D. Bruce Moore. The Coco
is over. Join us on the Coco Discord server. Coco forever. Okay. Okay. Well, that does it for another show. Thank you, everyone, for joining us this weekend. We will see you next weekend when the Coco Nation goes live once again. <laughs> Not creepy at all, dude. Not creepy. Hi, everybody. <laughs> Hi, everyone. Who wants some popcorn? Got some time to kill. Might play a little Zaxxon. Might double back to play a little Temple of Rum. Dungeons of Daggereth. Color baseball. But none can hold candle to the greatest of them all. Nightmare Highway. Sailor Man and Firefall Go on a rampage for some super pitfall Shanghai me into a game of rogue or demon attack But sooner or later you know I've got to come back to Nightmare Highway Nightmare high.